Welcome to episode number 13 of Two Beats Off Podcast. We have Justin MC here. I was not told in advance that we were going to be doing a cosplay episode. Um, Justin, do you want to introduce your, yourself for the episode? What are you wearing? I've got a loose Creedence Clearwater Revival Goonies-style bandana black t-shirt with rolled sleeves kind of thing going on. What are you drinking? Pabst. Okay. MC. I do, I do see the... Uh... Um, like brand from Goonies headband like thing yeah. there, it's it's good. Yeah. I like it. The Goonies. When I wore the red good reference. He actually wore the red. Well. Thanks. When I wore the red bandana to the shop store, it was like making fun of my Goonies bandana, and I had a. Uh, so it was really hot the last couple weeks, and we don't have an air conditioner in the print shop. We just open both doors and like run a fan and hope for the best. But uh, well, so we run an oven at 750 degrees. To, yeah, I, that's to the cook. dryer, right? Yeah, to dry the shirt. So no air conditioner. It's just spinning the the meter for MedEd at that point. But uh, yeah. So my glasses slip off in those kind of situations. I had a pretty long, like, fucking mosh strap on, and because uh, I couldn't find my croquis, so I had like a longer, like Tommy Bahama style one with the cinch thing in it, and I did a spin, and story goes. Oh, for a second there, I thought you had a rat tail. That looks okay. He goes, that looks okay. You should probably grow a rat tail. And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want, I don't want to do that. No. I was like, my wife would kill me. What are you talking about? Well, as long as you're in quarantine, I think you can get away with it. Yeah. I, I, my crust punk dreams were always to have that one dreadlock, like a Padawan dreadlock from, like, Star Wars or whatever. Well, just so you know, my dreams were always to make Order 66 come true, and I don't want to have to kill you, so don't do that. All right, fair enough. Don't kill What's children. Your my dream is not to I'm... kill children. No, wait, hold on. I like the way Justin described MC's costume. If I'm, if Justin could describe it again, that would be great. I think I said, <laughs> wait, when I said he was a, like an extra from Miami Vice? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, okay. Yes. So, Sons of Anarchy Aaron. Off-duty cop from Miami Vice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's about the look. Yeah. So to describe that for the people who can't see the picture, I've got a, a Hawaiian that's holding on by the bottom two buttons. Um, <laughs> I thought it was completely unbuttoned. <laughs> no, it's holding it's on by the bottom two. <laughs> it's holding on by the bottom two. I rode my motorcycle with only the bottom two buttons done today, and like that's my awesome. vest over top, and it was a real freaking terrible look. But I didn't care. Slapping it. Uh, yeah, it felt great. I don't care what it looked like. You know, I don't do it to look cool. I do it to feel good. Um, like sex. Yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. Not many people look good doing sex. Mm-mm. Not me. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so like, and then you know, the hair from having a hat on and a motorcycle helmet on is all just kind of like matted to my head and slicked back, like. Um, for those who have ever seen the Disasters era Roger Murray from Agnostic Front, that's kind of what the hair looks like. Yeah. Like a greaser like kind of look. You look like you're going through a rock and roll phase. Like you look like you're going through some shit. Or like, um, didn't the neighbor in Christmas Vacation kind of have this hair where it was slicked back and like. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Why is the carpet all wet? Wasn't his a little bit long, longer? Yeah, yeah. he kind of had it back bit. in a ponytail. Yeah. I, I obviously can't do because my hair has only been growing for like five months. What was his name? 
Fuck. Todd. I don't know, Todd. (laughs) Why is the carpet all wet, Margo? (laughs) That is easily top three of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, that's going to put a tree that big. Where are you going to put a tree that big? Bend over, I'll show you. (laughs) Hi, guys. Welcome to Two Beats Off, where all of our movie references are 30 to 40 years old. And most of our jokes fit that era as well. Most of our music music references are 20 to 25 years old. Fair enough. That's why we do our homework and do um, the review a new album and probably just complain about it, how much we don't like it. (laughs) In all fairness, if we pick new artists, we wouldn't have a Wikipedia to do the research before the interviews. (laughs) No, I mean, when we do the, uh, when we do the, like, Hey, so and so has a new album. Let's listen to it and talk about it. I do have a new one that I think we should listen to for next week. That's a uh, new band. Um, they're called End. 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 Um, E-N-D. It has, yeah, it has Jay Papina, who I think was in Reign Supreme, and a couple other people. Are they a hardcore band? Yeah, it's very heavy hardcore. Is it, is it available on Spotify? Yeah. All right, because I don't want to have to do too much work. No, no, it just came out like a day or two ago, but uh, it Donovan uh, posted it on his Facebook wall, so there's your link. Yeah. You know what song, speaking of things we've been doing homework on, we talked about Strike Anywhere last week, um, and Newer Anti-Flag hasn't done a ton for me, but yeah. there's a Newer Anti-Flag song that's been inside in my head like, for the last couple weeks. Wait, wait, wait. Can I guess it? Wait, Neil. Go ahead. Christian yes. nationalist. Nope. <laughs> Fuck. It's the a cop lives inside of all our heads. We gotta kill him dead. We gotta finish what we started. Which song is it's that? A great song. Hold on. I think. Are they telling me called... to shoot myself in the head? Is well, the anti-flag yep. trying to create mass suicide of punk? I don't rock think so. Kids. Of wait, like, no. Wait. What? Say it again, Justin, because I'm now I'm com- concerned. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the song is called "Finish What We Started." I think it was on American Fall. Oh, and okay, the- that doesn't count. That's not on the last record. What was the last record? 2020 Vision. Oh God, I didn't even listen to that one yet. I thought that was one um, that we but- said we should use as homework at one point too. It, it, yeah, I think it was. it was. Did you listen to it, Stephen? Um, well, I I didn't. I didn't make it the whole way through it. Well, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, I, uh, to be fair, uh, I, uh, I remember trying to tell you and the rest of the Reservoir guys that I really liked, was it American Spring? Yeah, I didn't that like came, that. One. That came out when you got married and you and Josh were like, it sounds like Hoobastank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really I, I, liked that record. I didn't like that one, but I did like the one you're referencing because um, Justin Sane says something funny. He's like, got that gun, got that wah. Oh, I love that song, too. Yeah, I like that one. And got that gun, a, got that bomb. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple songs on that I like. Justin, what's the but, song that you're trying to say is not about I, getting his fans to commit suicide? I believe it's called um, Finish What We Started. Yeah. Or something along those lines. And the oh, that's it. the chorus is, 
a cop lives inside of all our heads. We got to kill him dead. We got to finish what we started. I think well, I the idea is coming from though. I get it. Right. But I think the whole idea is that each of us has a natural inclination towards oppression or boss like behavior. Cause the next chunk of the chorus is a boss lives inside of all our heads. Mm. So it's like crushing that part of us that is shitty and oppressive. And I that way, lyrics, I, like, I, I take the lyrics much more literally. <laughs> Chris, if you're listening, I do not. I appro- I approve. Does he I, sing I, that one? Does it, is it Chris or Justin? I I'm honestly just being the an, an antagonist. So many so here. many of them are so many of them are both of them, and I'm not entirely certain who sings the bulk of the verses on that one. Well, Justin sing is ah, and number two is. That's rude as hell. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, but it's also like I understand exactly what he means, and I can tell them apart sure. based on that description. For sure, but that was unflattering. So while we're talking about anti-flag, <laughs> so it was twenty twenty vision. Have I have either of you watched Chris Number Two's um, base playthroughs of the anti-flag Ooh, songs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are awesome. There's yeah. one where. I think it might be Press Corpse from uh, Blood and Empire. He plays through all of it, and then you can hear his girlfriend Jane in the back go, "That one was really hard." <laughs> <laughs> like after it was over, it was really, really funny. <laughs> yeah, he did like, that. I, I think only... he did Angry Young and Poor too, didn't he? Because that one's pretty wild. Yeah, I always knew he was a good bass player, but you watch those and you're like, "Holy fucking hell!" Yeah, the Matt Freeman ones are also good. I. It's almost blasphemous to say. I want to say Chris's are almost more fun to watch. Well, Chris is a more fun person, I think. Yeah, I think Matt Freeman is very, like, business-like with his playing. He's like, yeah, I'm really good. He's like, hello, everybody. Yeah, that's how you play that song. I I don't know if he even talks, like, at the beginning of them, but Chris, uh, Chris will be like, okay, it's this song from this album. It is a half step down, which is anti flag standard tuning. Here we go. Hold on, I, really, you know, if I grew like a goatee, I could probably do a Matt Freeman look with this hair too. Yeah, yeah, you gotta Absolute, get a little bigger. Absolutely. Yeah, got got to bulk a little bit, and you got to get one of those Dickies like gas station jackets. Yeah, yeah, I had one of those back in the day. MC, I think I have have one in the if, attic if you want. If you wore one right now, you would know that it's also your jumpsuit for when we go break into abandoned buildings. Steven, I don't think you're supposed to announce to the world that we're breaking into abandoned buildings. You guys still doing that? Hey, hold on for a second. I need I need something for the podcast history, by the way. I need you guys to tell the story of the time you guys tried to break into the hardware bar. <laughs> I don't know if we should tell that one. I think no, I've heard it told from both of you, and it is a hoot, and I've told it once or twice and I'm not either of you, and I wasn't there, so it's hard for me to tell, but I think it's a great story. But before I lose the thought, what was Matt Freeman's rockabilly band, or psychobilly band? What was that called? Oh, shit. Devil Brigade. Devil's Brigade. Yes, that was it. Okay. Yeah. That was awful. It wasn't great. Yeah. So I have a question, Stephen. Now nope. that you you've told us how to determine who sings the anti-flag song, <laughs> can you tell us how to determine who is singing on a rancid album? 
Oh. You've got three three voices to differentiate between. And it's really not hard because I've already no. got it in my head. No. <laughs> Get me two. Okay, here's one. Okay. And then so that's him. <laughs> well, I'm rocking around. That's Lars. <laughs> I guess that's Matt. <laughs> no, a, a more accurate Matt. Would be, <laughs> and I rode my motorcycle. Something that's like that. That's so, yeah. When I think, when I think of Lars Fredrickson, I think so. My previous favorite Lars Fredrickson rancid song used to be St. Mary off Let's Go. Now my favorite Lars Fredrickson rancid song is Young Al Capone off Rancid 2000. That song is – I love that song. I feel like it's underappreciated just for his – Young Al Capone, yeah. Young Al Capone, yeah. Like it's so awesome and weird. It's I, weird. I, I like that by his dead too, bodies, but... and I actually really like a couple of his songs off of uh, Troublemaker. Oh, I was gonna say yeah. Leicester Square is totally my favorite Lars song. It's a great. Song. Yeah. My brother's oh, fun fact: my brother Ryan Lutz, his favorite Rancid song used to be "New Dress." I wonder why. So <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I'm sure we should we should get him as a guest sometime. Be like, why is your favorite Rancid song "New Dress" off Live One? Oh Rape? boy, I'd love to do that. I'll Facebook message him. Okay, guys. So <laughs> I have Facebook, a question. <laughs> Knowing the times we're in now, are we still allowed to like Rancid? Yeah, I didn't because know about this, so you guys are gonna have to tell me about this. Because I don't so, know the exact details, the post- but the drummer, at some point before George Floyd was murdered by the police. I think we can all agree that's the case. At some point before that happened, their drummer, who I don't even know his name, um, delivered a bunch Brendan, of... Brendan Steinecker. Yeah. Like, personal protective equipment, face masks and whatnot, to the local police department where he lives so that they would not catch COVID-19. And this was before... I mean... I'm not saying it's okay one way or another, but it was before the current situation. Are you yeah. pretty positive about that? I'm about 99% sure it was before that. I don't think it was like, oh, the police killed a, killed a guy. Everyone's mad at the cops. Okay, I'm going to go give them a bunch of personal protective equipment. So it wasn't I'm not like saying it's against the current protest, but it's still shitty. Well, people are saying like, oh, he's pro-cop. And I'm like, is he pro-cop or is he just like, hey, I don't want people that have to be working to get sick and die. It yeah. just, I mean, they are cops, but I don't know. I will tell you, I got pulled over by um, Officer Blessing, not making that up, <laughs> <laughs> um, for going 10 miles over the speed limit in McSherry's town, and he gave me a ticket, and this was right when, like, they like shut everything down you know i was like the only car on the fucking road so hey i was like why the fuck you pull me over there's literally no one else in this goddamn room and he didn't he wasn't wearing a mask when he pulled me over and i thought about saying something to him but then i was like well i don't want my ticket to be any more expensive so i'm just gonna shut my mouth but i did think it was odd that he didn't find it necessary and his name was officer blessing i think it depends on when it was in this because i think it was about mid-April when they started being like, well, everyone should be wearing masks now. It was, I know when it, 
it was when everyone was no one thought they could even go outside like the stay at home order was in place they didn't even announce a red yellow green and only essential workers were allowed to go to work like it was like in the thick of it and yeah, it was like the beginning of it, businesses though, without masks see at the beginning of it though like when it was essential businesses only it wasn't like you had to wear masks and stuff that didn't come to like Honestly, in my opinion, way too late into it. Right. But, so I right. know this was during that because I had a mask in my car and I put mine on because I had a mask for work. Okay. When so he was it was that me, far I, into it. Yeah. He was approaching me and I put my mask on. So I was like, gosh, well, you know, because gosh, I, I don't seen, want Officer Blessing to get sick. I have seen police <laughs> out and about at this point, And actually, I'm just going to say this. Fuck West, Man West Manchester Township Police because – they rolled up to the establishment that I work at and started giving people tickets for parking their car in front of the store to load their vehicles because he was pissed Ooh. off at one of our managers. I don't know exactly wow. the cop's name, but uh, they were wearing masks when they were doing that. And all I could think was, motherfucker, go across the street to the grocery store and ticket all the people that just park out front the whole time they're oh, yeah. significant others in the grocery store. But they didn't do that. Yeah. They just... They just came to our store to ticket people that were waiting for their dishwasher to be loaded in the back of their SUV. On that and note, then, MC, are you, comfortable with, are you comfortable with people knowing which specific, not like specific store, but which business you work for? I've said it a few times. It doesn't matter anymore. So I saw, to, I saw today someone tweeted that Lowe's has donated a bunch of money to... Fuck, I forget which charity it was. It was a good one, though. And that Home Depot donates all their money to the Donald Trump. Um, I would I would be very shocked with our current CEO um, if they were not giving money to, like, some sort of Black Lives Matter, a very, very progressive it group. It was because $25 million in grants to help minority businesses reopen. Yeah. Hell yeah. Our our current CEO yeah. is a um a black guy and I don't know where he's from but based on his accent I'm assuming the south cuz he's he doesn't have a thick accent but he's definitely got a little bit of it that you can tell like it, it's like a guy that lived in the south and was like, "Oh, now I got to do business across the whole country and I kind of got to try to hide that like twang. a Matt Evans? Like a Matt Evans he's accent? Got a, no, I I would say it's more like like Georgia than like got a little molasses yeah. on his tongue. Yeah, molasses. I'll be I honest. Like when he does the he does uh like a podcast for the stores is like a weekly like recap every Monday morning. I love listening to him just because like I get to hear his accent. And I'm like, heck yeah, that's interesting. But, yeah, that's but pretty we cool, also actually. have somebody that does our um like weekly safety videos and she's also from the south but she's kind of got the high-pitched like twangy southern and that goes right through me mm, like a southern bell yeah but it's not like like it's not endearing it's like oh it's matthew like darling oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's weird how that works like like the same accent with a different tone of voice can be like endearing or like shrill and awful yeah. uh, nothing's worse than the fucking thick ass boston accent sorry that we have some Ooh. friends there but jesus christ like the like when you listen to spin chicklets and ra talks god yeah 
And that, I love our, like, I love listening to that podcast and I love his, like, I think I actually like most of his opinions, but my God, when he talks, I'm like, could you like have a, someone else say it for you? Yeah. Can you go spend like six weeks in Arizona and just like, <laughs> that's figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> I listen to a podcast about hard writing every week and the, the main guy is a British fella and he looks like you or I, he's our age. He talks like he is the like the crypt keeper host of some horror oh, show. So he's yeah. like, well, here today on This Is Horror. And we're like, oh, fuck. Like, how'd you get 300 <laughs> episodes? <laughs> Speaking of Seisha, here's our interview with Steve Roach from Seisha and Off Minor. Hi, Steve. Hey, Justin. How's it going, man? Good. How have you been, man? Doing all right. I'm, uh, you know, holding up in uh, weird quarantine Philadelphia. It's kind of like half-assed quarantine, though, because people, you know, don't. This is the city of anarchists. Like, no one gives a shit. So, you know, they're de- <laughs> like I definitely drove past, uh, like, a couple graduation parties over the weekend. <laughs> like, people graduating from Temple. Oof. I don't know, man. It's, it's weird out here. People are not paying. Are people paying attention out there? Are people actually like social distancing, wearing masks, that sort of thing, or not really? Uh, sort of. Like, I live right outside Reading, and um, sort mm-hmm. of a little bit. Like, when I go to FedEx to pick up stuff for my screen printing shop, they have everything yeah. like X'd out on the floor, and the employees all wear masks. But uh, as far as people like you can tell they get huffy when they see a sign that says you must wear a mask to go in here yeah <laughs> like they'll they'll do it but they're unhappy about it yeah <laughs> yeah okay okay and i know I we uh that. we had our first restaurant open the other day and that was around the clock diner opened <laughs> of course they did <laughs> yeah sweet <laughs> um i, I hate you see like anyone inside there <laughs> It was, I mean, it was all over the news. And yet, I mean, they were socially distancing inside and people had to wear masks yeah. when they entered and exited. But when they were sitting down, they weren't required to. But yeah, there were a yeah. lot of people there. A lot of like, a lot of like older people more so. Well, boomer, boomer remover, right? Yeah. Oh, uh... <laughs> and I hate, uh, I hate that this virus has put me in a position where I, feel like I have to defend any government of any type because I hate doing that. But like when people yeah, are like, oh, oh, don't like, I'm not going to do this. I'm like, oh, no, I kind of like agree with your hatred of the government, but maybe not in this <laughs> instance. <laughs> yeah, for, for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you want to dive in? Want to start this? Uh, yeah. Are you addressing me or? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm game. Yeah, just um, say Steve and we'll know who. Oh yeah, absolutely. That'll that'll work. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you do you remember what your first musical memory was, Steve? My first musical memory, <clears throat> uh, probably being really into Michael Jackson. I definitely, I think my first LP ever was Thriller. I think my dad had a copy, and I also had a copy. Nice. Uh, on, on LP, uh, for some reason, I really disliked Bruce Springsteen. I think oh, partially because my dad really liked it. 
<laughs> uh, I'm, you know, but I'm not like super gung ho, admittedly, on him now. He's fine. Kind of, you know, um, I don't know. But yeah, I, I would say listening to Michael Jackson and being excited about about the thriller. I went to the beach when I was a child and I would um, <laughs> do the thriller dance on the beach and cover myself in mud to look like a zombie. <laughs> Did you scare anyone? Yeah. In retrospect, I probably looked like a weirdo, but yeah, I was probably like, well, I was under five for sure. I think if you're under five, you can pretty much do anything and, and you know, get away with it. So. Yeah, my three-year-old asked me where his fucking shoes are the other day. So, <laughs> whoa! Oh, you're a dad. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> he goes, "Where's my it's fucking been a shoes?" I've seen you guys, huh? Holy shit! Yeah, it's been. Well, we played together in Connecticut. Well, I've se- I've seen you once or twice since then. I think Steve at yeah. Pusa Fest. I think once. Oh, that's right. Oh God, that was such a funny weekend. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, for us That's too. Totally right. I forgot about that. Oh yeah. Oh man. Have you guys played it since? Uh, no, we played it one time, and then I went back and drove a band from Singapore on oh, uh, wow. their U.S. tour, and they were playing it. So I drove them. That was oh, a. That's right. Yeah, the Caulfield Cult. That's when you were up there when we were too, right? Yeah, the year before Reservoir played, I think. Um, okay. That. That's probably my most interesting border experience is uh, driving a brand new Chevy Suburban with four Asian dudes with face tattoos in it across the Canadian border. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely how'd checked get, every, uh, how'd you get every that panel. Um, well, they reached out to Reservoir a long time ago about doing a split because we were on a blog at this, around the same time. And uh, I was friends with the singer on Facebook and I had been recently like unemployed and just posted like, hey, I have all this time if anybody needs a driver or a guitar tech or whatever. And he reached out and he was like, are you serious? Because none of us have U.S. driver's licenses and we have a 21 day tour like totally booked. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. Was that, that was fun? Oh, I was thought they, it was awesome. they have a bunch of drunken derelicts or was it cool? Were they, were they uh, chill? There were two straight edge guys and the other guys were various stages of drunken derelicts, but nobody was too bad. I didn't have to like dad wrangle anybody. And they all understood that they all understood that their phones don't work here. So they had to stay like in pretty close proximity to me or make a plan. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You had the upper hand. I think so. Yeah. It was, it was a blast. The only bummer was driving the entire time because at least like, on tours with my United States band, you can switch. Yeah. But, Do you have a, where the drive like pretty reasonable? Yeah, it was um, northeast and like Midwest, like Ohio and Michigan. So I think the longest oh, one cool. maybe it was six and a half. That's not bad. No, being so no, cross, no driving across Nebraska or anything crazy. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, the East Coast. I think we get spoiled and don't realize it with the short drives over here. Yeah, but I also wonder, like, how many, I mean, maybe, I mean, I'm also very old, so maybe I just don't know, but, like, how many bands still, do bands even still really do full U.S. tours that often anymore? It seems seems like, I think it doesn't happen so much anymore. I think if you're, like, support for Thrice or something like that size, you probably do, yeah. but that might, that's, I don't know that DIY bands do, 
Reservoir flew to California yeah. and did the West Coast that way, and that was way better. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, I could yeah, go with uh, skipping the 12 hour drives four days in a row just to get to normal drives for the rest of my life. Honestly, I don't think I need to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I have been part, I have been I've taken part in, I did not drive either of these, but I did take part in two 29 hour drives. Holy shit. Two of the worst times of my life. The first, the worst of which was actually our first time in Australia where we actually left. We so Australia is basically, you know, I'd say roughly, this is not totally accurate, but roughly the size of the continental 48 states. Mm -hmm. Just imagine the only cities are like San Francisco, New Orleans, just geographically speaking, like New Orleans, Tampa, Richmond, and Boston. And we basically (laughs) drove from Adelaide, which is basically like the New Orleans in that, uh, to Adelaide, which is basically the Boston in that, um, that uh, description. So it was, we left and we left at one in the morning. Oh my God. Overnight all day. And then overnight again, <laughs> like, anytime we stopped, I would like literally lay down and put my head under the wheel. they like, just, just end it. <laughs> just, <laughs> Dude, is, now is it, is that, is that par for the course or do bands fly when they do that? No, we no, we were, we were dumb. And I think uh, the, the dude who set up our tour didn't really, I mean, we, we toured off my toured Australia three times. And I think that was how long it took us to like figure it out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because the, the last one was pretty cool where we just, <clears throat> we drove up the East coast playing shows and then friends of ours flew up from Melbourne Medicine Brisbane played the shows with us there, and then they drove back down while we flew to Perth, played there. Perth is the most isolated city in the world. It's the only city on the West Coast in Australia. And I oh, think wow. the, I think between Perth and Adelaide, as I understand it, has the longest straight stretch of road and railroad in the world. That's um, pretty wild. It's like a four, it's like a four day drive from Adelaide. So um, we, uh, yes, yeah, so we played, we played two shows in Perth and then flew the next day to Adelaide and met a band from Melbourne there and drove back with them. So pretty cool. It was, yeah, it was really, that was much smarter. We, you know, the drives up the East coast were far and the drive from Adelaide to Melbourne was like seven hours, but you know, cause it's, it's, you know, it's a giant country, but it's mostly empty. Like there, they have like less than 10% of our population. They have like 25 million people. So <clears throat> it's an awesome place. It's wonderful. Because um, the mid, the middle is all outback, right? Oh yeah, it's like mostly desert. Um, I literally haven't. I mean, I've driven through it. That's about it. But I was, you know, half conscious when I did so. So <laughs> um, we definitely almost hit a kangaroo one time. And actually, I, when my other band wow. went there, uh, amateur party toured there. It was the only tour we ever did. We toured Australia, and um, <laughs> our friend Stefan was driving a van. And within 24 hours, he hit and killed a kangaroo. Holy oh, shit. He was driving <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, you know, I I feel moderately guilty as a vegan laughing about that, but it's ridiculous. It, it's such an absurd scenario. Like, you can't not laugh about it a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was so weird. Yeah. How were those shows in Australia? Uh. They were amazing. They were wonderful. Um, the 
first time we went there, it was kind of a total surprise. Like we went in January of 2003. Uh, I had just toured the summer before in Japan. I filled in on drums for Yafakoto and we toured with Envy and I really wanted Off Minor to go to Japan, but Japan, you may or may not, you know, I assume you, maybe you know this, that the, um, you kind of have to be asked to tour in Japan. You can't just like decide you're going to go there and like ask people for help. You kind of right. need to get like, invited. So <clears throat> I was pushing a little bit, like the guys in Envy like knew who Off Minor were, like we, we toured with Envy over there, which is amazing and phenomenal. Uh, it was like right after Footprints came out, they were so, so good. Oh, oh wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was a mind blowing. And actually, the crazy thing was, aside from the last two shows, we had lunch. So we had to play after them every night. <laughs> so that Holy was really weird. In, in um, their own country. That's oh, so that was, crazy. Yeah. Oh, and we were also, and, and the other the other band on the tour was a U.S. band called This Machine Kills, who I played drums in the year before. They were like an ebullition band. And somewhat comically, Steve Aoki was their singer. So. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he he was a very dear friend of mine for a long time. Not that anything horrible happened between us; he just kind of drifted apart. But I, I think I saw it's you. Still pretty funny to like. You posted him, like, photos you know. from that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's just like you, you just it's it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, whatever. It's been it's been a long time since I've seen him, but uh, yeah. I mean, I did find his phone number a while back. So I think we had like some Facebook text exchange, like years and years ago and then a few like years later i saw i found the number and i was like oh man i never like texted him so i just like randomly i was like hey man it's steve hope it's still your number hope you're well you know be cool to catch up sometime if not no worries hope your life is as fun as it looks <laughs> and he wrote back he's like yeah hey man thanks you know that's kind of it was, it was like polite like hey thanks but you know later kind of thing so it's like great like, yeah it is fun it's great <laughs> yeah. Oh, but anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling here and running off. But um, no. so I, but I, I really wanted Offminer to tour Japan, <clears throat> and you know, no one was really biting. So I uh, was just kind of poking around this message board, and I found one in Australia for this label. I think I think it's for now. Is it for Building Records? I can't remember. But um, so we posted. I posted. I'm like, hey, I'm this band Offminer. We are considering coming to Australia, like, would anyone want to help us? And within 12 hours, we had, like, 20 emails from people saying, oh, we'll put out the CD, we'll, like, book a tour, blah, blah, blah. And so we're like, all right, I guess we're doing this. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, we just kind of, like, really had no idea what to expect. We literally only bands that I think I had known that went there. I know Good Clean Fun toured there. Nice. And, you know, not really our world, but a little <laughs> bit our world. And, um, I think uh, Code 13 maybe had had toured there at some point. I think I remember reading like uh, Felix Felix Bunn had a column in like Heart Attack or something, or maybe or, or, I don't remember. He's talking about it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's like all I knew. So I, I, we had no idea what to expect, and uh, the shows were like surprisingly really really awesome. And it was cool because I mean we it was just weird. It's just very different because you. They're only a handful of cities, but we, you know, every city you're in, you play like three or four shows. Uh, so, I mean, our first, when the tour started, we played five shows in Melbourne within like two and a half days. <laughs> it was kind of Whoa. insane. And then, so we would just play shows and then drive overnight and play two shows two days in a row, drive overnight, play two shows in a row. That's like all we did the whole time. Uh, it was cool. It was exhausting. But uh, it was really fun, and we met some like amazing people that I'm like to this day still friends with, and 
I've gone back just to like hang out. I'm actually pretty long overdue to do so. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like we met the dudes in my disco when they were in different bands. We actually played uh, Liam and Roe. Uh, from my disco we're in this band called Days of Iris that we played a bunch of shows with. Um, I mean, not every show was amazing, but they were all pretty fun. And it was just, it was just cool. We lost, I mean, we lost a shit ton of money because the dollar was not, <laughs> it was actually, the dollar was really strong and we flew in. We literally arrived on New Year's Eve and it was like, and that's like the middle of summer for them. So, you know, it's kind of peak time to go there. Yeah. So our tickets were a lot of money. Uh, which uh, I just put on credit cards because I was irresponsible. But um, then, uh, yeah, it was it was really fun. Everyone was wonderful. Like we went back the next year and kind of did a smarter, slightly smarter job of it. And then we we came back on that last big tour we went on. We went in two thousand eight, and that was amazing. That was wonderful. The uh, the multiple shows in a day thing is that an Australian thing or a hey you flew like 18 hours to get here you should play as many shows as possible thing i i feel like maybe a little of both just because i think there are so because australia you know there are only so many places you can really play and the cities are so far apart it's not like it's not like here in the northeast where you can play baltimore one night and play new york the next night and then philly and you can kind of go back and forth and bounce around a little bit and then um you know where the drives make sense they're not like you know because literally every drive I think Melbourne to Adelaide is like seven hours and that's like the shortest drive between cities really. Cause from going up the coast, Melbourne's like the Southeast. So if you drove up the next big city you would play would be Sydney, which is a 12 hour drive. And then from there you go up to Adelaide, which is what I'm sorry, the Brisbane, which is like maybe 10 or 12 hours too. I don't know. They're, they're long ass drives. It's just it's just intense, and there just there just are only so many places. And the thing is also because yeah, bands don't come there that often, especially like at the time, like no one went there, and um, so people like you know we'd play five shows in Melbourne, and people would go to all five of them, you know, or maybe they play go to three of them, you know. Um, whereas I feel like that's you know unless a band's doing like a reunion tour or something, that's not something that you know would really happen here for at least for many bands. So when you guys went over there and toured, um, I'm not sure what Australia's like as far as like punk and hardcore scenes go. Were you playing with bands in the similar vein or was it kind of like a pretty odd mix of genres just because of whatever type of um, hardcore punk scene they have there? It was, like it, it kind of varied. Like we definitely played with some like, you know, for lack of a better term, like screamo, screamy bands, you know, there's a band called Love Like Electrocution, who we played a couple shows with in Adelaide. We played bands with this. We played shows with this band, St. Albans Kids. Um, that were like, those bands were kind of in our wheelhouse a little bit. Days of Iris were maybe a little more melodic, like like uh, No Idea Records kind of style. Right. Um, but we, I mean, we also played like cross bands and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of like. I mean, almost like at times it was a little bit like how like the DIY scene at like ABC or Rio used to be like in the nineties where like bands that were just didn't, wouldn't have made any sense together on most bills would just play together just because that's how it worked out, you know? Right. I um, feel like that was more common then than it is now. Oh, totally. Yeah. But I think, I think there's also, 
I don't know. It's 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 hard. It's hard to gauge. It just seems like there's so many more bands, which I don't know if that's necessarily the case. But they just have they all just all have a, more of a presence. You know. I right. don't know. Did they know that you were the inventor of screamo when you got there? <laughs> I, I I don't think I had any special uh, special. Uh, like a parking spot. <laughs> no. I did actually. Well, like I. Two of the times I went down there, I recorded bands, uh, which was kind of fun. I'm trying to remember, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I recorded these bands. It was kind of funny. I had to like go on the tape off message board and like find people with studios in Australia that weren't horrifyingly expensive. <laughs> um, it was fun. I actually got to work at this really cool one in Melbourne called Head Gap. I'm pretty sure it's still there. It's a really nice studio, actually. My just I knew them because they were they they uh, recorded my disco before, and they were friends. It was a very nice studio. Yeah, the band only could afford one day there, so, so that was right. Fun. So yeah, going so, back uh, a little bit, did you grow up in in New York, right, or did you move there eventually? I grew up near, like, I grew up in upstate New York, which I mean, admittedly, like anything north of Westchester is considered upstate New York. I was not very. I was in this. I was in this town called Orange Town. This county called Orange County which is like two counties up on the Jersey side of the Hudson. Uh, okay. Port, Port Jervis is like the westernmost point in Orange County. That's where like New York, New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania all meet. Um, it's not an exciting place. It's like 50, yeah, it's like 50 miles north of the city. It's like about as far as you would live from the city and commute there every day. Uh, it's pretty pretty white middle class boring you know the only things it's just shopping malls and like i think west point technically in orange county or at least close to it um orange county choppers are from there so that might be the the area's claim to fame (laughs) yeah and then i i got i wanted to get the hell out of there as soon as possible so when i went to college i applied to all schools and cities and ended up going to nyu and then um yeah, I just started from there, just going to shows at ABC and like, you know, this the DIY scene was not a thing I had any, I knew anything about. You know, I just, I kind of accidentally stumbled upon like some Black Flag records and some Minor Threat records and got Discord a little bit at the end of high school. There were zero punks in my school at all. There was maybe like, there were a couple like skater kids who kind of knew that, but it was weird because the skaters and the hippies in my high school were kind of bullies. It was very weird. Um, so you you weren't aware of like any underground punk or hardcore when you were living in upstate then you found it in New, in New York City. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I know it. It was weird. Like we, my friends and I, kind of discovered Discord and you know learned about it what we could. You know the internet was not really a thing then, so you know we kind of would find out what we could, and we kind of did our best to kind of emulate what they did like we made our own record label we put on our own shows we'd like rent vfw halls and stuff <clears throat> and you know we didn't really know what we were doing um but uh it was fun and then yeah when i started when i went to new york then i you know kind of met friends who were kind of more into that scene and i started you know going to shows and i was like oh this is like a thing we could do and i ended up like putting on a couple, I brought a couple bands from like out elsewhere in the country, like to play in our stupid little town. <laughs> uh, 
you know, our friend had this like gi- had this giant property and had this like huge garage that hit, we got his dad to like build a stage inside of it, and we had this big PA. So like, they played in there to like probably sixty kids. You know, I think his mom like made them food. <laughs> it's like a very ridiculous time, but yeah, um, yeah, that kind of opened up my mind to and my uh, you know yeah just opened me up to that whole scene and community. And uh, yeah, I, then I spent the next like five years of my life going to ABC Area pretty much every Saturday. So. Do you remember the first show you went to there? It might have been. I really don't. I remember the first show I played there. I played okay, we can go with that. In like 19, early, it was like June of 1997, I think. And I think my, I had a band called God Awful, my brother. And uh, some friends, we played. We played with uh, uh this band called Judas Iscariot, who were on Mountain Records, and uh, a band from Buffalo called Mega Weapon. Actually, comically, that dude, like one of the guys on that band, like Facebook messaged me the other like a week ago, <laughs> kind of randomly. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then also kind of fucking like small world. Uh, Will, the singer from Quadriacha moved to Philly and ended up marrying a friend of mine. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah. And then after that, I started going with some frequency and I remember like I saw Sasha's first show there. I kind of like in hindsight, like really kicking myself because they played with like this band, Uncle Bizarre, who I now like completely loved, uh, who I now love. Yeah. And, you, uh, you know, I, you, I definitely did not stick around to watch them. <laughs> you turned us on to them when we recorded with you. And we, I think wow, all right. of us, I think all of us ended up fans of them after that. Yeah, so. they're fantastic. And like, I thought that, I think that stuff's getting reissued. Am I wrong? I think you're right. I think I saw that too. Cause I like the Facebook or Instagram page or whatever. And it very rarely yeah. does anything, but it recently said something about reissues. So... I mean, I, I, I wish them well. I'll be, I, I think they deserve a lot more attention than they got, but I, I will, I'm kind of surprised by that, but who knows? I don't know. I get, I get shocked all the time. <laughs> Someone else mentioned them to us randomly on the podcast, didn't they? I don't know. They might've. Cause I had never heard of them either until you mentioned them. I was like, Oh no shit. And they're not too far from like, they're not from too far from where we are. I don't think. Yeah, State College, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a huge, there was a huge DIY scene in State College in like the mid '90s. This uh, this band Puritan was from there. They ended up, they did a split with Universal Man. Oh. Um, way 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 back when, <clears throat> and they uh, funny actually, Demi and the one guitar player from that band is now like this big. He like yeah, he works for this production company or owns this production company with this guy Don. They do um they do these documentaries all the time. They've done they've done a lot of really good ones. They did the Art of the Steel, the one about the Bronze Foundation. They did Rock School about the Paul Green School of Rock Music. They did the one about the Randy, the singer from Lamb of God. Getting, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Charged with murder. They've done, they've, made, they've done some really, really great documentaries. So really. after doing some research on August eighteenth, twenty nineteen, Ethel Meserve posted that They've been working on a triple LP vinyl discography reissue that at that point they've been working on for a year. 
and they needed a name for the release. So they went to their Facebook to ask for a name for the release. And that's the last thing I've seen about it. <laughs> How many people commented on it? There are 76 comments. Seems, seems 76 does not seem to justify a triple LP. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would hey, do it because that's the most that. comments I would have ever gotten on. <laughs> I, well, I, I anticipate that uh, triple LPs have a higher minimum pressing than a single oh, yeah. does. I can so. imagine. Triple LP kind of walk because I know they have. I have every. I don't have. I have the the Melt Abandonment, the full length. I have it on CD. Um, but everything else, I think I have all the seven inches and splits, and they don't. I think they don't have. I think they have like. Let's talk about that. They have like two seven inches, like the comp song, and a split or two. It's, it it's not a giant chair. It's not that much stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked. Like I'm shocked they could fill three LPs. Weird. I don't know. Hey, I don't know. It's cool. Maybe there's maybe there's some missing stuff. I have. There's also like selling the name CD that tree the tree put out that was like that was like all the all the you know seven inches and and whatnot. But we'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Steven Steven's on the case. <laughs> um, so how did you uh, end up meeting the Sasha guys and joining the band? I was friends with this guy Adam Schwartz who. I think he was maybe he was in my French class or something, my first semester of college in NYU, and he was from Connecticut, and he had become friends with this guy Alex Madera, and I'm trying to remember how we all like I I kind of so I became kind of friendly with Alex through him. We we kind of all hung out together, and we were friends with this guy Luke. I think I kind of brought this guy Luke. Or we kind of got latched on to this dude Luke, who was dating a friend of mine from high school. And Luke was friends with this guy, Colin. And so we all ended up kind of hanging out together with a bunch of us for a while. And at some point, Alex ended up joining. So he started Facia with uh, Greg, Adam, Billy, and Jamie. And admittedly, like, I don't know the origin story of that. So then I, I went to their first show and I was, you know, like, I kind of, and I started like, Right when I started NYU, I started going to they had a, they had a hardcore radio show called Crucial Chaos, and I was interested because they had live bands play every single week, and so I would go and I would like help the engineer guy there, this guy Glenn, and um, so Jamie and Billy would start would come and would come by, and hang out. I think Jamie, I think James was uh, no not Jamie, but I think Billy was maybe even Krishna at that point. I don't know. I feel like he had beads or something. <laughs> to but, so I would, I would talk to him a little bit. And um, so I ended up start. I went to the, the, went to the first station show and then I just started kind of volunteering at ABC. I think when I started volunteering at ABC, I, I got really tight with Jamie. And I think at that time, right around that time, Alex quit and they needed a bass player. So my friend Colin, who I'd mentioned previously, he was really a guitar player, but he was asked to play bass. So he joined the band to play bass. He was actually borrowing my bass. I had this like weird red, like, you know, cheapo Fender P bass that he was playing for a while. And I think they were about to go on this like little week long tour down the East coast. And it was like over winter break. And he was borrowing this Mexican jazz bass from this, this 
girl down the hall from him and he liked that one a lot better. So he took that one on tour and ended up like kind of smashing it. <laughs> so, uh, he, uh, it's com it's kind of funny. He's now I on that base. So he, he ended up, you know, playing for a while and then Adam, their guitar player, he quit to join this band called Air Type 11, which was like kind of a big deal. I think at that point, like he, he uh, like uh, this guy, Artie Shepard was in the band and Artie was in this, this pretty cool band from Long Island called Mind Over Matter, who were starting to get pretty popular. And then he quit to join this band called World's Fastest Car with Walter Schreichels, nice. uh, who like had like a major label deal or something. And I think, I'm pretty sure they recorded an LP that never came out. And then they just broke up and that was it. But then, yeah, so he, so Adam joined Aerotype 11 and the plan was this guy, Matt Smith, who was living in Chicago and used to live in New York, was going to move to New York and play bass. But for, they had this big summer tour planned in the summer of 1998. And they asked if they decided Colin would move to guitar and until Matt moved there in the fall, they asked if I would play bass for the summer for the tour. I said, sure. So I, you know, learned the songs. And we were, I remember we were supposed to go on tour. They had rented, Colin and Greg had gone into Delaware to rent. This place had like a really cheap van rental. So we thought. So they rented the van. They were driving back up. We we're all sitting <laughs> at Jamie's house in the West Village waiting all day. And they finally rolled up and we're like, all right, cool. Let's all load up. And Colin and Greg are like, wait a minute. This, this might actually be too expensive. We might not be able to take this. <laughs> we're like, what are you talking about? There's a year already. So we ended up like thinking it over because they ended up getting there too late to even make it to the first show. So we like talked it over and we're like, okay, let's, we can't, this band's too expensive. And so we were like kind of hauling ass trying to like buy, buy a, a van somewhere. Like I remember we, we almost bought the old Vitapunk van. Um, it's kind of like an Iraqi kind of band. Um, and we almost bought Franklin, the band Franklin from Philly. They had a, like a short school bus that we yeah. were trying to buy. Um, it all fell through. We ended up like returning the rental van, canceling the entire tour, except for like the last two shows. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so that was the whole thing. I was like, oh, okay. Because I, I think I'd done like a weekend We'd done a weekend earlier in the summer. Those are my first shows. And we played like maybe one or two here and there. And I think we just, yeah, I think we just played the last show or two. And play, it's like we maybe played a record store in Connecticut. I might be confusing things. And then we played like this show in Long Island um, with Portrait in the States of Seeds. Um, and then that was supposed to be it. But then when fall came, Matt ended up not moving to New York. So there wasn't really a discussion about it. I just was like still in the band. Um, and then, yeah, then I just stayed in the band. Like we, we toured a bunch of that. We toured that winter with you and I and race Bannon. We toured in the spring and then we did a big U S tour that summer. And uh, when that was over, we came back. Colin, we are in, before that tour, we recorded the last seven inch. And when we came back, Colin quit. But by that time, Matt had moved back. But we actually drove out and moved Matt back to New York. And we um, we were, uh, I was actually teaching him some of the songs because he was going to play guitar. 
I was teaching him some of the songs and because I knew some of them a little bit on guitar. And so he, Jamie and I worked like a couple times a week. I've like blown way past what I was supposed to talk about. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're um, good. No. It's great. But uh, yeah, so we, Jamie, Matt and I were working like multiple times a week to, you know, try to get Matt up to speed. And after the first couple, Jamie's like, Hey, you're an okay bass player. Matt's kind of an okay guitar player. Not really. He's like, you're not a good guitar player, but Matt's a really good bass player. So why don't you play guitar? <laughs> so we had this whole thing where I was learning to play guitar. The songs of guitar and Matt was learning about bass. And then like, I think even for a couple of them, I was kind of tapping along on drums to kind of get everybody going. I was going to say, and, weren't you uh, a drummer also? Or was that later? Yeah, no, not in Fascia, not in Fascia. So, but that was the funny thing is then we ended up, yeah, we kind of right before the first show was play with Matt, we broke up. Um, and uh, then I remember, right, there was like a bunch of, it was, it was messy. And, but after the last show, like before we even left, it was at ABC No Rio with, I think, Jerome's Dream and maybe the assistant. But right before we were leaving, like Jamie, Matt and I all kind of looked at each other and we're like, practice tomorrow. <laughs> so we, the very next day, had the first off minor practice. So, so um, did were you expecting it to end anytime soon, or was it kind of like a shock to everyone? I I mean it was not it was not healthy. It was not. I mean it was there was there was just a lot of tension. It was not. I don't know. I mean I was I, there was there were times in that first in that full U.S. tour we did where I was sure we were going home. I was sure we were going to break up. I didn't think we'd make it the whole tour. Um, you know, I don't know. We're all 20 year olds and, you know, we're all into punk and, you know, have, have, uh, have some, uh, some issues to work out. Let's right. say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a shit show. Uh, there were, you know, many, many t- days and nights where I was like, what is happening? It's just craziness. Yeah. I mean, I, it seemed like we weren't going to do the whole thing and I'm very shocked that we did as much huh. as we did. Um, but, uh, you know, we did, it, was, it was cool. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, um, but the thing was for me, it was never really my band. Like it was, you know, I was, I was technically filling in. Right. And then I kind of like, it turned into a permanent position, <laughs> but it was, it was very weird. Like, and I, you know, I wasn't really a bass player. I wasn't very comfortable playing bass. It's funny. I, I played bass in a band many, many years later. So several years ago now at this point, I played in this band called the Xanax, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> it was my friend Ashley who plays in Pinkwash. She was in Waxahachie for a bit. She played drums. Um, and Jenna from Hears sang. And her friend Brandon played guitar. But like I am the most boring bass player on earth. Like I can play okay, but I like to watch. I am I like stand like a statue. Like if I sitting behind, if I'm not sitting behind a drum set, like I don't know what to do. Right. It's kind of funny. Um so I mean fortunately in that band as well swelling around like a maniac and uh same same for Tasha, so that kind of worked out I guess. But yeah, I mean I was never super comfortable playing bass. Uh, you know, it was never it was never like my it never felt like it was mine. Whereas off minor felt like it was mine. You know, it's much right. much different experience. Xanax wasn't a straight edge band, was it? Where they capitalized the X's at the end? Oh. No, that was that was the joke. It was like, yeah, that was the joke. No, we were far <laughs> the farthest from straight edge. That band I would say Pretty much every show we played, we were all wasted, which is I was not. Say, that'd be a funny straight edge band. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was yeah. That was, 
I was kind of shocked. I mean, I guess they probably, you know, if, if any band really did it and went for it, they'd probably get a cease and desist. <laughs> I don't know. So did you, were you recording already at this point or did you get into that later? Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I started recording when I probably like when I went to, started going to school in 96, going to college, I, I really, I bought a couple like crappy, like radio shack, like nine volt battery powered mixers and a couple mics. Like I, but at the time I had no idea where to even put microphones. A friend of mine had a cassette four track that I, we kind of messed around with, but didn't really know what we were doing. Um, but then after watching the radio station happen for a while, I started to kind of get the hang of it. And uh, I kind of started getting all right at it. And I would, the bands would often use the live sets from the show, from the radio show, at, like for like records or demos or something. And they started sounding pretty good. And so the radio station wasn't really... This, you know, this was around like, I, I think I took over as a full-time engineer there in 97. And um, the uh, radio was only in operation. Like they had to share, because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of radio stations around New York, obviously. And so NYU only had the station, I think, between 4 p.m. and 1 a.m. Monday through Friday. That was it. So all the other hours, it was empty. So I could use the room. So I had this, there was a little engineering office and I bought a half inch reel to reel a track. Um, and I just left it in the office and I would start recording bands on the weekends. I did like, I think the first, the first one I did was Neil Perry. Uh, they did like both seven inch with Usurp Synapse. And I think what ended up being the seven inch on that they put out with Witching Hour. Uh, we did that like January, 2000, I think. And that was, yeah, I was paid for that with two slices of pizza and a soda. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, and it just kind of grew from there. You've been posting a couple of those radio station recordings uh, lately, right? Is that that radio station that you, like, found? Yeah, I admittedly, it's probably been a minute that put any up. It's just weird because when I do it, it's kind of fun. as well. It's like, oh, it's like a little, like, mastering practice for me. <clears throat> I'm trying to do more and more these days anyway. Um but it was it was fun. But the thing is, I you know I don't want to surprise anyone. I try to reach out to the bands and be like, hey, is this cool that I put this up? You know, I'm gonna put it up as you know zero dollars to download, but you know people are able to donate money if they want to. I have a deal with the bands that I think if the amount of money exceeds twenty five dollars, I give it all to them. <laughs> so I don't think that's happening yet. I think I think actually there might be one that's getting close. I should probably double check that, but. Because, you know, people pay like a dollar, two dollars, whatever, I mean, which is nice, fine. But like, you know, I don't know. I just think some of these things are kind of fun and it was, it's cool to have them out in the world. Because some of the bands that played, I thought were fantastic and great. And I was like really happy and happy with and proud of the recordings. And, you know, I like them to be out in the world. Yeah, like in Book of Dead Names, who played, they were phenomenal. They were so awesome. But like that that era of the band, they only had a couple. They had a split five-inch with Jerome's Dream and a split seven inch and the two the recordings on them were kind of rough and i think not that the the live session was amazing uh you know i can certainly listen back and be like "Ooh, that was rough but um you know i think comparatively it sounded pretty good and uh yeah i don't know i just thought it did them more justice and i was happy to uh have it out in the world you know i don't know yeah i mean i have t- i have tons and tons of them i have many many more i mean some of them i'll you know never be able i mean 
I don't think I'm going to be able to like hunt down the dudes from H2O and be like, hey, you know, because well, the, the show had like this weird, had like a, a, like a pretty serious connection to that whole scene, that like the real New York hardcore scene. Because like when I came on, Rachel from Indecision and Most Precious Blood was one of the DJs, you know, and she was way more hooked up at the time than I was. Like I was, you know, they... And even before I got there, like they booked Portrait of the Past, they booked Catharsis. You know, I didn't really know anybody at the time. <clears throat> but then, you know, later on, like when we were getting closer to, to 2000, like 99, 98, you know, I was, when I was touring with Seisha and volunteering at ABC, you know, I was booking at ABC, you know, Rio at the time. So, which is kind of cool because a band, a cool band was coming through and be like, hey, why don't we do both things? Like you can play ABC and you can play the radio station. <clears throat> and, um, uh, you know, usually worked out pretty well. Although I think it was kind of funny. Uh, I, th- I think I did post the mile marker set, didn't I? Yeah. Um, but I was talking to, because mile marker did that tour like uh, a year or two ago. I remember sitting at Boot and Saddle and I was talking to Al uh, about uh, their set because they played, it was like during the summer. So I had to play them play during the day. And I didn't realize that because the bands would always record on the weekends or the bands would play the radio station at night. So it wouldn't really matter if they were super loud because it was at night or on the weekend and no one was around, but there were offices downstairs and the guy came up complaining, like freaking out. Cause it was, you know, there's a fucking loud ass band upstairs. And I was just like, no, fuck off. Never mind. Don't worry. They, I guess apparently the mile marker guys thought it was very funny. <laughs> they were just like, I was like, yeah, whatever. Don't worry about it. Keep going. <laughs> That's awesome. so, yeah. So obviously off minor form, pretty much right after Seisha when, um, what led to Matt leaving a couple years in and then, uh, your brother hopping in. Uh, I mean, it was, I just, it was like personal differences, honestly. Like I, I was, I don't know. We were still young and young kids and like kind of idiots. And like, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I was probably great. Like Matt and I basically didn't get along really. Um, we stopped get, getting along and uh yeah so he quit um yeah i mean i think i was super intense about the band and probably really you know put a lot more weight uh gave it a lot more weight than maybe a, a normal person would have um right. you know i just thought it was important I was, it was important to me i was really excited about it and you know i I, for my 20s, was not very good at balancing my life. It was kind of all or nothing with everything. And I think that's kind of how I approached it. So, yeah, so he ended up quitting. And I think I got him to begin to play one last show. Yeah, began to play one last show. As I was on tour with This Mission Kills, and after the tour, we played a show with The Locust and Song of Zarathustra, and that was Matt's last show. <clears throat> and then, yeah, we kind of bounced around for a couple months. We weren't really sure what we were doing but my brother had been playing bass in this band, Life Detecting Coffins. And um, they were like a weird band to never, never quite quite caught on. But uh, they they practiced like crazy. Those guys played like every single day. They would practice. And so they got to be pretty monster players. And he was a really good bass player. And he wasn't really working or going to school too much. So it was pretty easy. It made a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, he learned the songs quickly and we were kind of up and running by like, I don't know, I think he started practicing with us in like September. Yeah, it was not too long after September 11th, actually. And I think uh, 
he started playing shows with them maybe in like November or something. I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't long. Uh, and then the next year, 2002, we were like started really touring a lot. Like we toured that spring, we toured that spring, we toured that summer, and um, and that fall also we toured with the band, this uh, German band Yaga, who were amazing. I hope you guys are familiar with them. If not, you should check them out. They're really, really great. Um, just in terms I think Jamie would always say, out. it was like, Stacia <laughs> done right. Nice. <laughs> so um, what's it like being in a band with your brother? Did you guys get along pretty well? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, we dicker a lot. We still I mean, yeah. we still play music together. We, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have been, and that's the funny thing is that like, he's, He's joined a bunch of bands that I've been in. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, not a bunch. But he's joined a couple of them after the fact. He like he joined. I played in this band called Yo Man Go, which is kind of funny because I oh yeah when I was asked to join that band, I told them that I would join if they changed their name, but I lost. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they agreed to it, but then they never did it. <clears throat> so um, Who, which who's older, yeah. you or Kevin? I'm older kind of comical because we for a long time we lived in the same neighborhood in Philly and if people didn't know we have a brother they would often mistake us I mean for me it was like annoying because it only happened once like I think it maybe happened three times to me ever where people thought it was him but he said literally five times a week people <laughs> would either think he was me or they'd be like oh you're Steve's brother which I'm sure got annoying and very old but now uh, I mean our social circles are not white you know they they were you know it was like an eclipse i think initially <clears throat> when uh when he first moved to philly and now we uh kinda, you know we we have some overlap certainly still but um it's uh it's a bit different but yeah i mean we we bicker like crazy i think it's like kind of kind of funny to our bandmates sometimes or they just pull yeah. their eyes a little bit because we we have a we have a funny relationship sometimes so i think our admittedly our relationship with our family is not great but our relationship with each other is pretty good. Right. But, um, it just, it just makes for like that added layer of complication where it's like, you know, we just, I think, I think we bicker at each other a bit more than, than most brothers, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe I, that's my only, that's my only experience. So I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, Did you ever give him a swirly on tour? I never gave him a swirly. <laughs> uh, I think, no, I'm trying to think if I ever like punched him or anything. I might have. <laughs> uh, I definitely like I've definitely thrown things at him before on tour. Never too crazy. Justin only... threw my shoe in the road on tour once. I did do that. What happened? He threw my shoe in the road and What'd then a car ran over it. Uh, oh man. Was yeah. the shoe okay? Yeah, it was. It was the first day of tour too, which is kind of a bummer, but we kinda of bicker like brothers <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, it it yeah, wasn't I'm like right, I man. it wasn't like I threw it in front of a car. Like it just happened to kind of be. You didn't wait for your perfect moment for like a Kingo to come by and like just toss it out there. Right. And <laughs> and probably like five years after that, Stephen was mad at his snare drum and threw it against the wall in our practice space, and it bounced oh. through a doorway. I was on the other side of a wall completely. It bounced through the doorway. <laughs> Broke my glasses and the rim ended up around my neck and it was hanging off of my head. <laughs> what? Yeah. So your like the head broke on your head. 
Uh, yeah. My snare drum head was already broken. I threw it at a wall. <laughs> and but like I wasn't even in the same room, and it bounced <laughs> through the door. Like, okay. And I you somehow throw it through the wall like the Hulk. No. No, no, no. It bounced off a cement wall through like a doorway and landed on Justin's head and broke his glasses. Wow. Did you buy new glasses? <laughs> he said he would, but I don't think we ever took his care oh, of it. Oh man. I mean no, I have to go buy shoe in the road. I have the... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because that's I think the... glasses I guess it depends on the shoes. Were they like very expensive fancy shoes? No, no they were like slip ones. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what his glasses were like, but nerdy for sure. Yeah, some, some highly fashionable, expensive ass frames. I don't know. Yeah, that's Justin for sure. <laughs> yeah, highly fashionable, expensive. I was hoping you threw it through the through the actual wall. That makes that made me oh. think of um. There is a there is a I went to an insane party in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, probably in like 2000 sometime where these these young kids had rented out this huge loft, like right on the water, and they had built built it out. You know, they built all these rooms, they put a bathroom in, the kitchen, and all this stuff. And then I guess once they were done, the landlord was like, okay, you are evicted. So <laughs> they decided that they were going to leave it how they found it with all the walls ripped down. And so they just had a party. And everyone was just punching and kicking holes in the walls and they had like bands playing in two rooms. And while this is going on, my friend John jumped up onto a, he grabbed onto like a pipe in the hallway and kicked through the wall, like burst through the wall, like the fucking Kool-Aid man while a band was playing. And I remember they like, the band stopped and people were like, yo dude, chill out. But it was really funny because people would come in to the party and see someone like punching holes in the wall and come up and be like, what are you doing? What's the matter? Like, what's the matter with you? And they wouldn't realize they had walked into the party through a hole in the wall and not a door. So, <laughs> and then uh, as, as a, for a follow-up uh, later on at the party, I was at one point in one room punching out a wall and I heard glass breaking in the next room. And I was like, what is going on? And I looked and there was again, my maniac friend <laughs> throwing a stack of plates like frisbees at a television that was on in the corner. And then when he ran out of plates, he just picked it up and threw it out the window. And we were like on the third floor. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And then I watched him throw a toaster through a window and some dude came over to him again and was like, Hey man, anything in this room is basically fair game. Please leave the windows alone. He's like, all right, cool. And the guy walked away and he threw something through another window. <laughs> like an asshole. <laughs> How did uh, how did Off Minor end up winding down? Uh, we really were not getting along. I mean, I uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just personal stuff. Like Jamie and I, you know, we we really fought a lot the last couple of years. I would say of the band. I mean, like I would just live in Philly, and we would only get together to play shows. You know, weekends were easier, but tours were hard. You know, and we. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, man, the last, the last tour was three months long. And I think two weeks into it, I was like, I am, I'm done. This is not, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I wasn't going to cancel the tour. I didn't really have a choice. I was literally about to declare bankruptcy. So 
I, I had no money at all. I couldn't have done any. I couldn't have left if I wanted to. So I was like, all right, I'll just finish this tour and it'll be that. Yeah, we we, we played our last show of the tour, came home, and then like we got. I was gonna just say I'm done, but we got asked to play one of the Portraits of the Past reunion shows, and I really wanted to play that. So I think we practiced that day, played the show, and then after it, I was like. Jamie, I'm done. I'm like, I, I, I didn't talk to him for eight years. Like we had oh, become wow. friends again. It's been like in the last couple of years, but it was, it took a long time for me to, to kind of get over a lot of that stuff. I mean, granted, this is it's not, it's not a one way street. Like I know I'm not the easiest person to be in band with all the time, but uh, yeah, I just, I, yeah, we just, we would just, it was, it was just didn't, didn't go, didn't work at the end. What was it uh, like working with uh, Level Plane on that early split? Uh, I mean, actually, I I don't know if people all know about this. I did Level Plane with Greg. It was me and oh, I together. Sure. Yeah, well, initially, the Sasha 7-inch was a self-released 7-inch. And then at some point, Greg decided that it was Level Plane number one, even though I think everyone in the band had paid for it. <laughs> and then we... He had decided he wanted to do a full length with this band, The States of Seeds, and he, I, he had money. I had no money, and I was like, he, is, he said he was fine with me not contributing to it financially as long as I helped with it, and so I did. And um, yeah, we put we put out that record. I you know I sampled a bunch of them, glued shit. It was kind of a crazy process, and the band, mm-hmm. of course, broke up. And then, but we did a couple things together. Like we did like an ABC No Rio benefit CD, which had a bunch of live songs on it from the radio station. And uh, like 12 Hour Turn, Boy Sets Fire, um, You and I, I think. Yeah, I don't know. There's like several several bands on there. And then um, we uh, did the You and I, Curtain Falls LP. Actually, I went down with them when they recorded it, just because you know, I wanted to like nerd out and see the studio and stuff. Um, and after that, I don't know, he and I were just have, kind of having some disagreements. He kept kind of agreeing, kind of, he kept like deciding we were going to put out records without even talking to me. So I was like, <laughs> Hey, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm out. And he kind of talked me back into it for a while. And so I did do it for a while, <clears throat> uh, with him. We, yeah, we did the race band and record and, uh, yeah, we did the offliner split behind the resurrection and then I'd agreed to do the, the Vita Blue, which who turned into 10 grand, an LP for them. But then before that even came out, he and I like parted ways. I don't know. I, I to this day, do not have, have anything good to say about that person. So <laughs> I should probably stop talking. So, Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned yeah. the, the you and I Curtain Falls record. I know you... I remember when we recorded with you, we talked about it a little bit, but um, do you have any cool stories about being there for the recording of that record? I know you mentioned like the phone in that is actually like a toy phone or something. I can't remember exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Casey had this, yeah, there's like a phone and the one phone. Casey had some like little toy cell phone that he could like just put up to his pickups for that little like ring sound. Um it was fairly, I feel like it was fairly straightforward. Like they tracked live. It was a, it was a cool room. It was, it was a studio called WGNS. Um, 
I remember like 400 years recorded there. Um, I think Sleepy Town Trio recorded there too. Hoover, like uh, some cool records from like Discord affiliated or adjacent records had been done there. And Seisha recorded the LP there. Yeah, I don't know. It was cool. It was it was a cool spot. It was this huge, like like an old, I don't know, an old like little warehouse or something. Just had like brick walls. Um, you know, the band played live in the room together. I remember uh, the the gobos were like these old like you know office dividers, and cubicle walls and stuff. And I do remember that they did all the vocals live together like all three of them sang at the same time. like casey oh that's Justin weird and, and tom all sang yeah they well these are big rooms so they were pretty spread out yeah they all just did it together i think just to save on time because i mean we literally booked two days to record the lp that was it. right and i think i think there was like some weird like i don't think those guys did not end on great terms either at the time so but yeah. i think they're all they're all pals now it's, it's kind of funny is tom and justin are in a band again together <laughs> actually when they were in two bands until very recently together uh but um yeah yeah no it was, it was cool I, I mean i i was more like just looking to see like oh what microphone went on this thing or whatever and, right uh you know i was you know i was still learning at that point <clears throat> but it was, it, was, it was a cool experience it was fun but it was yeah Tom's, it was uh... we just tom's on our list i think of people we want to have on at some point oh yeah man tom's great um he and I, so he and I, actually he and i just worked on a whole thing together which is kind of fun oh nice quarantine project yeah he, he recorded this like 17 minute opus that i got to play <laughs> drums on which doing after the fact not easy to do i'll bet because it's like kind of slow and just trying to get it like time get the timing was not easy anyway so I saw him posting about writing or recording that. I can't keep track of how many yeah. bands he's in. I think he's in a couple. Yeah, he is. He is one prolific dude. He's, I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he's got some skills, man. And he's like a, a great, great person. Like, wonderful human. We, we play with Capacities a handful of times. And he's uh, oh, just, nice. He's the best. Uh, Tom's great. All those dudes are wonderful. Yeah, actually, have you, have you heard... Uh, have you heard Chris, their drummer's uh, new band, Spanish Dracula? No, but that sounds awesome. <laughs> they're great. They sound nothing like Capacities. They, uh, they're very, like, I feel like they have, like, a kind of an MC5 vibe. They're kind of garagey. They're really good, though. They're really fun. Um, oh, and he did, uh, oh, God, what is it? Chris played drums in, uh, oh, man, I'm, like, totally blanking right now. Um, hang on. I'll figure this out. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Chris, play, Chris played drums and uh, oh man, it'll come to me. I don't know. Edit that out. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to get yeah, I'll, I'll, edit I'll make it sound good. <laughs> yeah. um, really good though. This is more just for my personal knowledge. Um, none of the Off Meyer stuff is on Spotify. Is that you choosing yeah. not to do that, or is that a label thing, or? Uh, that's a laziness thing. I think the plan is I've been talking to this dude about re-releasing things. Um, I think the idea is maybe just, just do small run cassettes because I really desperately want to remix Inominate because I hate how it sounds. Yeah. Because admittedly, I was not a very good engineer at the time and my stuff was not in great shape at the time. And, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I've been kind of working at it, chip, like chipping away at it for years at this point, honestly. It's mostly done, but then I do have to like work out packaging, I guess, to make it be a little tricky. But um, I think it might still be on zip disk. I don't know if <laughs> a functioning zip drive exists anywhere in the world right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the, pl- the plan is to try to do some kind of cassette you know, release of re-release of things, and people seem interested. He seems to think it makes sense to do it uh, discography on vinyl. I, I would be flattered, but I, I don't know if the interest exists. But <laughs> it would be fun, exciting. I would like to mostly just get our last record to be sequenced properly, because <laughs> uh, we were not home to listen to the test pressings because it came out while we were on tour, and then. Uh. Months later, I listened to it. That's the way it's supposed to work. All of the songs were supposed to go flow from one to the other. Like it's supposed to be seamless, and it's supposed to be all the songs on one side, except for side B, is supposed to be the really short song and the really long song, and that was it. But for some reason, one additional song ended up on the second side. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It was I. I screwed up, and I sent the wrong reference CD to the mastering place. But I, I totally did that on our first seven inch. Oh the, yeah, the wrong edit of um, of Stray is on our first seven inch. Oh, no. I don't know. Do you know that, Justin? <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I know. It. Well, you're Look like I heard. Like... I just heard you say it, and I was like, "Wait, you did that?" And then when you talked through, I was like, "Oh yeah, but it's fine." <laughs> yeah, there's an edit where he like yeah. cut up my drums and like copy and pasted parts I didn't want him to, and it took out like some fills I did, and it's totally the wrong. One on the seven inch. Whoops. <laughs> no, I didn't do it right. No. <laughs> okay, good. Just check. Yeah, no, no. no I, I don't I, remember I, this. <laughs> no, we we tried to do the. Um, what did we try to do? The what do you call it when it keeps playing at the end, but we didn't play on time well enough. Oh, so. lock room. <laughs> yeah, the locker. Yeah. So that was our fault because we have terrible timing. <laughs> But no, no, that was that was the person we went to before you, which was kind of why we went to you. So in retrospect, I know you're still obviously working as an engineer. What are some of the more challenging releases that you remember having to work through? Uh, yeah, it's going to sound like I'm talking smack. Um, let's see. I mean, probably mostly just early ones, because when, you know, when you're new at engineering, you don't. You, you haven't ha- encountered problems before or certain problems before, right. you know, whereas now if I, if I, you know, I've made hundreds of records at this point and if someone comes in, chances are, if they're having a problem, it's probably something I've dealt with before. Whereas, I mean, things that were extraordinary, I, I recorded as a go to LP and while they are lovely, lovely people, the planning was not great. I mean, granted, I agreed to it, but it was they didn't want to do it on a weekend because that was too valuable for shows. <laughs> so they wanted to do it during the week. So we did it. I remember I was saying, this is when I was still at the radio station. So we couldn't start till one in the morning and we had to be done by eight or nine in the morning. And so we did that three nights in a row. Oof. And that was rough. Yeah, it was really rough. And they had brought these dudes because they wanted to do like some improv and they brought these dudes I think these guys had driven over from like West Virginia, I think, to like play horns with them. And the whole, I think the whole first two nights, they were 
not doing anything. So they were just trying to like sleep in the lounge and they were so miserable. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, I think just, just the timing generally was very trying, you know, yeah. that, I think just that, that added an extra layer of complication. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was, I was still pretty green as an engineer, you know, I think at that point I'd, you know, done like five records or, or maybe 10 or something by that point. It wasn't a lot. Um, you know, that was, that was pretty rough. I don't know. It's just, I mean, honestly, like things that are trying, like situations that are just uncomfortable for, for whatever reason, like, I don't know, like if bands are like, you know, I don't always know all the people that I record. Like sometimes they're just total strangers and they, you know, aren't people I, I would hang out with normally. Sometimes like, I don't know. I remember this one band, God, band came, I don't even remember how they found me. They were kind of from where I grew up and they had like, even though it was like a two hour drive to get to Philly, they were five hours late and they showed up with like, this is when the studio was still in my house in West Philly. And they showed up with the four band members, two girlfriends and this dude who was like supposed to be the producer. Oh. So they were late. They show up. And as soon as they show up, they went to go get beer. And oh. I was directed, they asked where to get beer. And I was like, okay, you literally just take a right at my door, go two blocks and there's a pizza shop. I'm just go in there and get beer. And the guy took the drummer, who's, you know, the first person you really need there <laughs> when you record, when you're setting up microphones. So he took him with him and was gone for like 40 minutes. I was like, what? He came back. I was like, what the fuck happened? And then the dude said, said a, a great sentence that you don't ever want anyone to say, or at least a great start to a sentence you don't ever hear, want to hear anyone say. He, he says, I'm not racist or anything, but, and you're oh. like, oh God, please don't finish the sentence. <laughs> yeah, his, his, his thing was, I've never seen so many black people. I'm like, what? dude, <laughs> this is a very diverse uh. neighborhood. Like, a lot of students here. It's just, you know. I was just, it was just weird. And then I had to like sit with this dude like over my shoulder the entire time. And he was like <laughs> trying to bro down with me. Like, just like <laughs> talking about like sexual conquest. It was really fucking uncomfortable. Ooh, yikes. It was, it was so uncomfortable. Yeah, it was not, not fun. So maybe that wasn't the kind of challenging event, but <laughs> that was challenging. <laughs> That sounds pretty challenging, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going at about an hour here. I fear we'll wrap it up soon, but I did want to touch on what you're currently working on. Um, I know you're still recording, obviously, but what bands you're playing in now and that kind of thing. Uh, I have a few bands. Um, none are horribly active, admitted. Well, no bands are active right now, really, but... Um, <laughs> I play in this band called None But Equals with um, my one, uh, my friend Willie and two of the dudes from that, this old DC band called 1905. <clears throat> um, we have a seven inch that is supposed to be coming out soon-ish on this label, this French label called Stonehenge. It's an old French hardcore label. It's um, the dude who played in like Jasmine. I don't know. He, he, they, they put out, they've been putting out records for a long time, Stonehenge. Um, you know, they're like ebullition uh, era, you know, label. Uh, so that's that's a band I'm pretty stoked on. It's pretty fun. It's like kind of like peace punk maybe meets like Revolution Summer era Discord. Right? That's cool. Uh, 
I played in this band for a long time called Boar War uh, with my brother and uh, my friend Willie, who's also a nobody close with me. We just released a full length, you know, out into the void. We were supposed to play a last show. Uh, we, were, you know, we we're still having fun, but our singer doesn't really want to play shows, so that makes being a band difficult. That's yeah, a pickle. <laughs> so I think we'll probably do something else. But uh, we put out a full length. They're super proud of it. It's on, that's on Bandcamp. That's actually that's on Spotify and stuff too. Um, and I play in this band called Iffy with uh, my friend Tim, who played in Ultra Dolphins and Brain Worms and a bunch of Richmond bands. And my friend Al, who played with the last bassist in this in uh, Bridge and Tunnel. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so no, those those are my active projects at the moment. I have a couple like recording projects in the works. Actually, one is kind of funny with Jamie uh, from Off Minor and two of the guys from Amanda Woodward. I don't have no yeah. idea what the band's gonna be called, but we've we've written like Nico, the guitar player, uh, has written a ton of songs already. That I've only managed to write drums to two of so far, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, I think it'd be fun. It's kind of like, it's supposed to be like oi, but I think it's sounding kind of more like the Markmen. So <laughs> it's cool. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. It's pretty cool. Is there uh, anything you want to shout out or any booming political statements you'd like to make to the nation? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I mean, I'm probably preaching to the choir. Obviously, our president's an idiot. Don't drink bleach. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, call your fucking representatives. Uh, and you should call them seriously every day. I mean, I don't know. Actually, I, I posted this today. Like, uh, you, uh, you are all fellow Pennsylvanians. Um, right. our, our senator, our worthless empty seat of the senator, Pat Toomey. Uh, what is he saying? His, his outgoing message has something about his like uh, his uh, his like great conscience. You know, that that's he, he makes a. He's like, oh, was an overabundance of conscience, I think, is what he said. This is the reason that his, his, his physical office is closed. I think it's very funny coming from fucking Pat Toomey, of all people. This dude, for those who are unfamiliar, conservative. He's like an empty suit. He's totally worthless. Um, yeah, he's just terrible. But uh, everyone everywhere should be calling their fucking representatives because uh, we live in a failed state. <laughs> so, And, uh, yeah, we're... I don't know. I'm going to stop my doing so much. Sorry. I've been listening to lots of, lots of bummer podcasts lately. Uh, I can shout out podcasts. I listen to lots of good ones. Behind the Bastards, that's really good. Worst Year Ever, also a good one. Also, not very, very on-the-nose name, I'll say. It's supposed to be about the election, but it's uh, turned into something else. Cool. Uh, anyway, that's it. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll check all those out. Uh Keep an eye out for what you're working on in the future, and um, we'll stay in touch. Maybe do it again sometime. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I can send you the audio, and, uh, you know, let me know if you're in town, you know, if you ever get to leave town. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. See what happens. Yeah, you guys stay safe. Sounds good. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Steve. All right, fellas. Take care. Have a good night. Yeah, you, you too. too. Good night. Hot dog, that sure was fun to catch up with Steve Roach. We must turn our way back to the podcast to continue talking. Oh, my God. Holy do not fuck. Use that. Holy fuck. 
<laughs> hold on. So rancid. <laughs> hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on, Stephen. Hold on. It's great to catch up with ah! Steve. You have to say hot dog in the beginning. Hot dog. It was great to catch up with Steve. You forgot the mustard reference. Guys, can I tell you about mustard? So, on New Year's Eve, <laughs> on New Year's Eve, I went to uh, Bobby Hunt's house. Do you guys all know Bobby? Steven, you don't care for Bobby. Does he listen to this? I have no idea. Oh. Yeah, then no, I don't. <laughs> um, we went to Bobby's, <laughs> Bobby's house, um, and I was outside by the fire, and I leaned in the window to see what everybody else was doing because the window was open. And Stoyer hucked a deviled egg at me out the window, and it hit me in the shirt. <laughs> and I was drunk enough that I just kept going, I smell like, I smell like mustard. And I got really <laughs> mad. And I was so angry that I stank of mustard. I almost barfed because of the mustard. And then I woke up the next morning and like smelled my heap of clothes. I was like, smoking mustard! I'm not a big mustard fan, so that would really bother me. No, devil. Like I like eggs well enough, like a fried egg. A cold, hard-boiled or deviled egg does not do it for me at all. Yes, I like my aborted fetuses in food form to be warm as well. Yeah, I like them hot. I like them hot. I'll eat them anyway. So, fellas, um, let's talk I'll about Steve. Yeah. Let's talk about that time Stephen was arrested. <laughs> I haven't forget. I haven't forgotten. I'm not blowing past this, you guys. I referenced it before the interview, and now we're getting to it because it's a great story, and I love it. It's not that good. I think it's, it's pretty fun. fun there are honestly. parts of it. There are parts of it I think are hilarious. Well, there's there, we have to. There's a backstory to it for like the entire reason it happened was chilly dilly. Yeah, Chili Dilly. How about that part? Chili Dilly, Royal Square Development. MC and I were trying to do like a legit DIY venue, and Chili Dilly <laughs> had a meeting with us. Did you you set that up, didn't you, MC? Yeah, like he had, they were developing a lot of property in town, and I knew that they had access to a lot of the buildings that we were interested in, so. I reached out just to inquire and what a meeting that was. Oh yeah. That was a good one. Um, Josh Hankey and Chili Dilly. Are yeah. they still both involved with it? I believe they're still somehow involved. I don't think okay. their name is attached to as much as it used to be, but long story short, like they were really all about the idea, especially Josh. Cause he's just like a hype man basically, but he's like, Oh man, I can just see it. Bands in there rocking out, people having a good time, having drinks, shooting up, dancing, and <laughs> oh, shooting up, dancing. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. didn't mean like like drive-bys shooting up. He meant like hardcore drug use Fuck. in yeah. a building that he was going to be renting to us. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I think everyone just kind of let that one slide, didn't we? We didn't touch yeah. that. And then as soon as we got in the car, Stephen and I were both just kind of looked at each other and we're like, uh, he definitely was like referencing people doing heroin in the club that he wants us to do. Yeah, yeah that happened. 
But the other thing that happened is one of the properties that we were sort of being nosy about was uh, a room at the back of what used to be the hardware bar and Market Street Saloon here in York and was also used as the York location of Smalls, which was a um, small punk alternative music venue in Harrisburg that they then moved to York. And then when that whole group didn't want to do the hardware bar anymore, um, Smalls lost their license as well because they were under the same roof. Um, quick, quick aside, is that the one that had the loft above it? Yeah, no. well, it was. It was, was that a, next door. That was next door. Okay. That was, was Bahama Mamas. That was Bahama Mamas, and it was then became okay. Evolution Nightclub. But it was it was the that building. Was the, if if you're facing that building, it was the the storefront to the left. That was yeah. the first place I ever played in York. Submarine Screen Door played the loft. I think LBJ booked it, and I want to say Bet Noir played. Yeah, we played that. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I remember that. Common Enemy played too, I think. Yeah, we were supposed to play with that AF Records band, The Vacancy. Oh, maybe that was a different show, though. And they and they didn't show up. And it was like a tiki bar. It was very strange. Yeah, there was a shark on the wall. Like a shark yeah, li- head. Listeners, forgive us if I've already talked about this, because it feels like deja vu. Um, so when we referenced that building, um, Chili Dilly basically told us, well, we were trying to buy that building. And he went through the whole ordeal about why they couldn't buy. And he said, so he's like, you know, I've gone down there and looked at that exact room and you can kind of see in the door. And he's like, all that's covering the one door because the window's broken out is a piece of plywood with like six screws in it. He's like, now we don't have a legal way to get in there and look at it, but it is easily accessible if you want to go look at it. Which oh no, <laughs> really planted a seed. Let's let's just call it planting a seed. So, so let's let's pause. I didn't know about any of that part. All yeah. I heard was all I heard was Stephen MC tried to break into the hardware bar. <laughs> no, I definitely told you this before. And let's back up. What is Chili Dilly's business experience before Royal Square Development? He ran an ice cream truck. There we go. Okay. Uh, that's, <laughs> it might have that's, been... the only, that's the only business that a grown-up named Chili Dilly could possibly his, his run. not Chili Dilly, but it was hey, you, Chili he... Dilly was the ice cream truck. I think he had multiple <laughs> ice cream trucks, though. So, I mean, it was more than just an ice cream truck. He had multiple ice cream trucks. It was Chili Dilly because his name's Dylan. <laughs> yeah. So it was an ice cream truck empire, MC, is what you're saying. I, I wouldn't call it an empire. It was a fleet. It was, it was, yeah, small fleet. <laughs> now, a fleet of uh, frozen dessert trucks. Yeah, now where I live in the city, most of the frozen dessert trucks, the ice cream trucks in this part of York, tend to not be legitimate businesses. So I don't know what he might have been doing. I'm just going to you know, Wait, plant that's... a seed the same way he did. Maybe the idea that they're these were illegal. <laughs> Illegal frozen treat trucks. <laughs> Look, this, I don't think the, the treats most innocent... people are buying illegally are frozen, but maybe they are to keep them fresh. I no, don't. I, I, heard want... that, I, I heard that you could go to Rita's and order a very specific type of frozen icy, and you would get weed. 
Really? If, if you went there and you said, hey, I want the green blah, 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 they would say, okay, how much? And you would tell them, then they'd sell you weed at, at Rita's Italian X. Not Rita's, not Rita's, sorry, not Rita's. What's the fucking Snow Palace? Snow not Palace. Rita's. That, that makes more sense. Rita's is a nationwide yeah, yeah. chain. Not, not Rita's, Snow Palace. What I, what I want to believe is that there is a chain of frozen treat trucks that never got the licenses because they cared so much about delivering frozen confections to children that they weren't going to go through official channels. They were going to say, damn the man, we're going to deliver ice cream to children no matter what. That's what I want to believe. There's this guy who's like, you know what? My real passion? Nutty bar cones. <laughs> Nut buddies. You think, you, think that's, you think that's more likely? It's what I want to believe. Anyway, that's the backstory, pretty much, right? There's nothing yeah. more. Though. Yeah, yeah. So then, so the hookers then, were. We went to see the. We went to see some hookers. We went to see what? Um, the hookers, the band from. They're from Kentucky, right? I think Me. they're from Kentucky. Yeah, one of them. Um, play at the depot here in York. So, you know, the hookers played at the depot, and. We were all there. Did we, Old Tigers might have played that show. I feel like we played that show. Probably. It seems like a show we would play. Dave Prino booked it. So, and Steven was there, and we had already discussed that we were, you know, you know, the seed was planted. So we're like, all right, we'll get a drill. We'll go down there. And I was like, also, that place had, like, the doors where when you close them from the inside, they just had push bars. So, realistically, maybe you could just shove a hanger in between them, hook that push bar, and pull it open. So, yeah. you know, we had some tools with us, some old wire hangers that we had bent up. and Now, let me just know. say, are we at the point where we left the depot yet? No, I'm still, like, saying we had all the stuff with us okay, when we gotcha. went to the depot. Okay, gotcha. And we went to the depot, and we had a good time. Um, the singer of the Hookers bought a entire bottle of, I think it was Jose Cuervo tequila from Kimon, and that was his drink nice. for the night. He just kept sipping sips of tequila all it might have been better tequila maybe i'm misquoting but it was definitely tequila and um yeah and let's be honest steven had a few drinks i know so i i wasn't actually that i i hadn't had that many drinks but on my way out drew green was there and drew green said steven before you leave we've got to do sh a shot of rumplemans and I was like, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> and so Drew Green, and he bought it, you know. Can't say no. <laughs> let, let me uh, let me spoil the story by saying a little bit by saying that you were drunk enough. Not at the depot. The Rumplemans hit me a little bit later. Okay. Because um, I did it right before I walked out the door. I, knowing our plan to go try to break into the old Smalls building, only had like two beers all night <laughs> because I I was basically telling everybody that we were going to get arrested that night, <laughs> which foreshadowing happened. Um, <laughs> so I guess we're at the point where we left the depot. We leave the depot and we're in separate vehicles, so... Fat Matt and I in our van go towards, you know, downtown to meet Steven at the um, Cherry Lane where this 
building is where we're going to try to break into. Um, Steven gets there a little before us and is starting to have at it with the coat hanger. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A a sentence you never want to apply to you. (laughs) Steven was back there having a back alley abortion on the door with this coat hanger. I was ramming that fucker into that door. I was determined to get it. (laughs) Glad I'm here to moderate this conversation. So go, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> Things we didn't think about going into this. How well lit that alley actually is at night. How close to, central booking is. How close central alley. booking is. And how many apartments overlook Cherry Lane. And uh, all of those things came into play when somebody called the cops on Stephen for trying to break into this building. Did they call the um, cops on me? I didn't know that. Yeah, when the cops rolled up after you ran away, they told <laughs> us that it? somebody called on them. So you're you're getting ahead of yourself, MC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Fat Matt and I get there, and Steven's like not having any luck. And as we were parking, a cop rolled up the alley. So we get out and we walk up to Steven, and we're like, "Yeah, our cop just rolled by." So we're kind of abandoning plans at this point. So I think you, Steven, threw the hanger. You've bent it up and threw it in the trash can, right? <laughs> I saw the cop pull up, and I go, "I was in my house, just like, oh fuck." Better get rid of this coat hanger. <laughs> so, yeah, I walked to the trash can, I crumbled it up, and I put it in the trash can. I don't know what was said between the three of us. All I know is I walked away. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm going to offer color commentary here. My, uh, my understanding was that, Stephen, you took off on foot to your car. Not Fat yet. Matt, Not okay, yet. go ahead. Go ahead. So at this point, we walk out to the main street, me with a drill in my hand. Steven, right. no longer with a coat hanger, and Fat Matt. Fat Matt was pretty drunk. Honestly, he was the drunkest of all of us. But um, no, but no device in his hand. Yeah, but with nothing in his hand, no, nor no had he been seen with anything in his hand. So we start walking. I forget exactly which way, but um, a cop car goes. It was away from like the Holy Hound, right? Or was it towards the Holy Hound? I went towards the Holy Hound because I went in the Holy Hound. Okay. Well, okay. no, you well, went in the Holy Hound when the cop drove by and ran up on the sidewalk in front of us. Yes. Yeah. I split. This, this is, is why I split. Steven's so story is already this, ex- this story is already exceptionally regional, and now you're making references to York businesses that no one has any idea about. Okay. Well, so well it's a place. Uh, <laughs> uh, the cop pulled up on the sidewalk in front of us, and Steven ran the other way towards a bar. Um, (laughs) and I didn't run because I, in my head, I was like, I've done nothing wrong. I'm not drunk. What's the big deal here? You're standing on the sidewalk, completely sober, holding a drill for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, me on the other hand, I thought the cop had seen me shoving a coat hanger in a door because I was very obvious about it. I wasn't being secretive. So I ran into a bar that had an entrance on the front of it and an entrance on the side of it. So I went different side of the building. Yeah. So I went into there, hit behind a pole, watched a cop car go by and go down the other way. And then I ran out the side door and got back in my car. So (laughs) while this is going on, the cops get out of the car and they're talking to myself and fat Matt and, I'm kind of having a good time with it because I'm like, what the hell can they do? Like, 
nothing illegal has been done at this point. And so they're asking questions and like they asked for our ID and I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I've done nothing wrong. And they run our IDs. And at this point, they hand Fat Matt back his ID and they, they're like looking at my ID and they're like, do you know you have an unpaid snow shoveling violation from two years ago? And it, I kind of like, ex- I threw my head yeah. back and I kind of laughed and I just held my two hands out like tight together in front of me. Like, you know, go ahead, handcuff me because this is what's <laughs> going to happen. And they're like, there's no need for that yet. Or no, there's no need for that. And I was like, yeah, okay. So then they hold on to my ID and I'm just like, well, it's going to happen. So they start asking questions and asking questions and like they, it, it was heavily implied that they thought we were buying or selling drugs with Steven. Um, <laughs> Cause they had, they looked through this freaking trash can where he ditched the coat hanger and they pulled all kinds of random stuff out, <laughs> but they couldn't find anything that like was, was incriminating. incriminating. Other than, I guess, a bent-up coat hanger that they didn't see Steven throw away, so it was just a bent-up coat hanger in the trash can. I just don't understand what he thought I was doing. I was very – I wasn't good at secretly shoving a coat hanger in the door. I was going to town. I don't know, but they they seem to think it was a drug deal. Yeah. Um, So at at this point, my understanding is that Steven bailed to go to his car. You are arrested on the sidewalk holding a drill. He hasn't been arrested yet. Okay. Yeah, I haven't been arrested well, you're, yet. You're being questioned by the cops, and in a few short moments, Fat Matt is going to be the only one who inexplicably escapes on foot. <laughs> yes. So at this point, the cops Don't... start asking me questions about yeah, Steven. I escaped. And like, like I'm like, they're like, why do you run? I was like, I don't know. Probably because a car flew up on the sidewalk in front of him. Like, that's like not normal. And they're like, we're going to need you to call him. And I was like, sorry, buddy, I'm not doing your job for you. And that's when they grabbed me and threw handcuffs on me, like (laughs) real quick. And I was just like, yeah, knew this was coming. So they started, they're like, they're like, they're, they're, they start doing the, like the pat down. They're like, do you have anything we need to know about in your pockets? And they're like patting down my vest pockets. I was like, I have protection in that one. And they're like, what? It was a condom. (laughs) Which I thought was a funny way to like say I have a condom, but it really made those cops uneasy. Wait, wait, um, wait! You never told them. Didn't they ask you what you were doing that night? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were. They asked us. They're like, "What are you guys getting into tonight?" And I straight up told them, "Oh, we went to the depot for the hookers." And the cops like like did not think that was funny at all. And Fat Mac kind of at that point he's like. Well, it's a band called the hookers. It's a band called the hookers. We went to see a band called the hookers and I'm having fun with it. Cause whatever. And, um, yeah. Then like, like they found my condom and didn't think that was funny. And they get down to my other pockets and like, I didn't have a pocket knife or anything on me. Cause like, you know, I knew what I was doing. Um, but I did still have my earplugs in my pocket. And as they're like digging in my pockets, like, buddy, you don't want to like reach in my pocket. Like I, I was like, there's earplugs in there. And they are gross. And he's barehanded at this point. Ooh. He pulls them out of his hand and he throws oh. them on the ground because he was grossed out by my earplugs. I mean, they were those like foamy yeah. ones that get nasty Ooh. after like one use. And yeah. um, at that point, like, you know, they realized, the frog plugs. 
uh, other than like the drill, I didn't really have anything that was worthwhile. So they threw both of us in the back of the cop car for a little while. And Fat Matt's giggling. He's having a good time because he's not going to get in trouble. He's like, <laughs> I always knew if I ever got arrested and I was in the back of a cop car, it would be with you. And then they let him go. And they took me to central booking. Did you where... have any food oh, that I had left them see at this point? I assumed you got away scot-free. Okay. I thought so... like I was the hero of this story. Pause for a second, too. So my understanding was not that Fat Matt was let go. It was that Fat Matt escaped on foot, despite no. his nickname. <laughs> my no, understanding was no. that... There was no was that smooth a, moves by Fat Matt. Well, hold on, hold on. My, my understanding was that a fella named Fat Matt <laughs> took off on foot and made it free. No, uh, I, I hate to dash your 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 oh. image of this, but it's not true. However, he did walk like six blocks back to my house where his car was parked because after we got arrested, he went on a Tinder date and banged out some Tinder girl, and then ended up back at my house when we got out of Central Booking four hours later. He was still sleeping on my couch. So, so anyway, no. I ended up in central booking and well, like the, this is where this is where the story splits, right? Yeah. So, so they take you in. I get to my car because I hid in like as the cop car is pulling around Holyhound. I'm I got back to my car. I was parked at Mudhook, which, you know, is pretty much right there. And I still didn't see anyone. So maybe they had left with you you already, I'm assuming. So I waited a good while and I start driving. And um, I drive past MC's house, you know, place I could have stopped. And I'm thinking, fuck, yeah, fuck this And you definitely had a key to my house. I did have a key. I had, it said princess, and it had three diamonds on it. Um, Drive by my mom's (laughs) house that I could have stopped and slept at. And I'm on uh, Bannister Street, which doesn't matter to anyone except regional people, but there's a cop car behind me, and coincidentally this cop car was just behind me because they were out patrolling had nothing to do with any of the incidents because this was in york city now i'm in west york and i think fuck they probably got my license plate number (laughs) so i see a cop car behind me i'm like oh boy i'm done for i'm gonna get breaking and entering charge so i uh you win so i did what i thought was smooth and i went just 10 miles over the speed limit because i didn't think anyone would pull me over for that and he got behind me enough that i turned right onto a road and then as soon as i turned right i just like gunned it and i was (laughs) (laughs) and i went i started going like 60 miles per hour my god in a residential area so now keep this in mind. If that cop hadn't been behind me, I was totally okay to drive, could have drove totally normal home. But because I saw a cop who I thought was arresting me for breaking and entering, I came up with this poorly thought out scheme in my head and took a turn really fast and gunned it, to which the cop did see <laughs> and uh, uh, put his flashes on and caught me maybe like a half mile down the road. Lucky, Luckily, he didn't give me a... Uh, evading arrest charge because i did stop when he <laughs> caught up to me finally because <laughs> essentially what you were doing was like oh fuck gotta run 
Like, yeah. yeah, it wasn't like I was driving erratically because I couldn't drive safely. I was driving erratically because I was trying to avoid a breaking and entering charge. <laughs> oh my God. So I pulled into someone's yard pretty poorly because it's hard to stop when you're going 60 miles per hour in a residential area. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, he had me get out of the car. Well, no, I thought that you were supposed to put your hands out of the window. When you got pulled over, this had never happened to me before. Apparently, you're supposed to put them on your steering wheel. <laughs> so I had mine halfway out the window when he pulled up. And then I was also halfway on a curb. So I stumbled when I got out, not because I was too drunk, but because I was halfway on a curb. And then so you were so far into this person's yard that you were out on a curb when you got out of the car on the driver's side. I was so nervous. My hands were shaking so bad. <laughs> Um, and then he's, he's like, I need you to like walk a line or whatever. And I just looked at him and go, officer, you may as well just like skip this part. Cause even if I was sober, I'm not walking in a straight line. He goes, well, I have to make you do it. And I was like, uh, okay. And I took two steps and like wobble. And I was like, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so he put me in the back of this car. And then I'm sitting there and I hear over the radio, yep, his name is Matthew, blah, blah, blah. And uh, his address is blah, 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 blah. I go, that's MC. That's MC's house. He's like, yeah, we're taking him to Central Booking. I'm like, MC's at Central Booking too. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole time the cop is like out I don't know what he's looks. He's searching my car, I think, for like drugs and alcohol or whatever. Which I don't know if they're allowed to do that with. Maybe they are. Whatever. Um, didn't have anything, but he missed the entire part where I was hearing MC's name over the police scanner. <laughs> and uh, I show up at Central Booking, and uh, I look through the window, and smiling at me from the other side of the entrance to Central Booking <laughs> was MC. <laughs> I was having a pretty good time with this because I was in on a snow shoveling fine chart. And even when I got that, that was my fault, by the way. I was living at MC's house and renting it from him, and I did not shovel the snow. (laughs) Two years before. It was when he was living in a different state. So the best part of this is I got to central booking, and the lady that was like like checking people in, I I as they're giving my name and thumbprints and stuff and fingerprints, I was like, can I just pay this fine and go home? And she's like, what, what do you mean? I was like, I'm here for a snow shoveling violation. She's like, she said something along the lines of you can't be serious. And as she's like pointed up, like her eyes got real big and she's like, Oh, kind of, and she said, I don't know verbatim, but under her breath, she was like, Oh, they must be having a bad night or something. And I was like, yeah, they must be like, I was not nice to these people at all because most people that know my interactions with police, I am not like. If you're in for a snow shoveling violation, you get a little room to be a bit of a dickhead. Yeah, I, I I'm you pretty do. liberal with like my attitude at this. Point. I will say I was a little bit harsher on them. I think I'm. Oh yeah. Well, at the point where you show up, I love. I it. started to find the humor in this, <laughs> and I, I was like, I've been a dick enough. This is now a good story. <laughs> well, I, I love Stephen flailing his arms out the window to like for the arresting officer way is pulled over. That was my favorite part. 
I, I really enjoyed my, I'm going to continue to believe that fat Matt just took off. So there's my first favorite part about this. And then Steven just wagging his arms out the side window, like, please, I'm sorry. Like my favorite part of the story is that while we're in central booking, fat Matt's wagging his dong in some strange. Oh, I don't um, know if there's a, gr- a grosser way you could have said that. That's what I went for. So yeah, we were we were we were locked. There's one other guy there, right? What was he there for? Oh, like, he was hammered drunk. Yeah, yeah, he was he, he was drunk. He was um, like borderline violently drunk. He I was wanted. Angry. Yeah, he was angry, and I wanted my phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was upset at this point because Stephen got to keep his shoelaces. I didn't. <laughs> they took my shoelaces out of my goddamn fucking boots. <laughs> In all fairness, you probably looked a little bit more intimidating than me. I was, yeah. I, I, I don't know that you look like I don't know that you look like a suicide risk MC. You look more so like you're gonna pull the shoelaces out and strangle somebody else. Yeah. So I was yelling at the lady that I wanted my phone call, and I said, "I want your badge number," and she just laughed. At me. <laughs> she just laughed. She was like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I want your badge. I was like screaming at this lady <laughs> from the cell with this guy who was just like slurring and like slobbering everywhere. MC's just giggling in the corner. <laughs> um, you got released before me, MC, right? Or did we get released at the same time? I got out just before you. Um, and the reason I, I go back to they thought that like – I was trying to buy or sell drugs. Like I got out and like they had everything from my pockets, which included like whatever we got paid that night. It was, you know, like 100, 150 bucks cash, mostly like 20s, 5s, 10s, 1s, which looks no, like drugs. No big bills. Yeah. So um they kept my drill, which I'm still a little bitter about. Whatever. Um so when I got released I went straight out of the courthouse where central booking is and across the street. And there were these like two middle-aged guys dressed like wearing like what I would call like preppy cool kid clothes from like 15 years prior, probably like FUBU or something or like echo unlimited type stuff. And they were obviously like 45 to 50 and they're like, these two guys are just standing there and they're like, Hey man, you want to buy any? And I forget exactly what like drug lingo. term they used. Yeah, what drug lingo they used, but it was comical. And I just looked at him. I was like, "No, man, I don't have any cash on me." And the one guy just goes, "Are you sure?" And I was <laughs> like, "You're a fucking cop," and just kept walking up the alley because like my house is five blocks away. Yeah. But they knew I had cash on me, and they were like trying to set me up like as soon as I got out to. Be like, oh, they're trying to buy drugs from an undercover cop. Yeah, yeah, it's it was yeah. a total sub. They they kind of so I I vaguely remember you getting released before me, and then me getting released, and I remember the the female cop who I kept screaming at, going after I got released. Do you still want my badge number? <laughs> and I go, and I go, nah, you're good. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> you should ask for her phone number at that point. I should have all in, you know, um, but Brittany was with me at the time. <laughs> so she was not happy. 
No, she wasn't happy. So I walked out. But those those guys that had approached you were there. They didn't approach me, though, maybe because Brittany was, like, giving me a ride home. Yeah. So I wasn't like, you know, that's not quite as easy of a target. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much the story. But this can kind of um, play in a little bit because I don't want it to be all, like, fun and games. But this can totally play into what's going on right now because if this had happened to – anyone like other MCRI, like white, straight dudes in downtown New York City, I don't know that we would have been laughing in a jail cell that night afterwards. No, absolutely. Could have ended way differently. Exactly. So, I mean, if you can imagine, like, what's going, like, George Floyd obviously was arrested for a counterfeit $20 bill. If Maybe allegedly a counterfeit alleged. twenty dollar bill because no one has the twenty dollar bill to know if it's actually fucking fake, right? And so, in that situation, you'd see like switch the roles a little bit to black guys in an alley, in the middle of the night, one with a coat hanger in a door, one with a drill in his hand, and one who's fat and standing there looking goofy. <laughs> <laughs> The the circumstances don't play out the same way. No, no. no. I would have been shot. Yeah, MC doesn't. Nine times out of ten, MC doesn't even have the chance to say anything and explain anything. Um, So, to make a kind of funny story matter serious, um, it's totally a white uh, privilege in a nutshell. Yeah, white privilege in a (laughs) nutshell. So, for For anyone listening who i doubt there's anyone listening that believes that privilege doesn't exist this is a pretty good example of it existing and i doubt mc or i would be nearly as successful or whatever as we are today had we not been born white dudes in that moment and that's my rant hardly a rant get fired up i don't know yeah (laughs) <laughs> I think I said my piece the last time like I don't think it's like as a as a white guy I don't think it's my job to be fired up it's my job to be there right. to make sure that the people of color and the people who are speaking out against this because it affects them directly it's my job to be there to support them and to make sure that when they are saying what needs to be said that there is people on the other side supporting them and backing them. I, I have a real problem with white folk making it all about them and trying to be the center of attention at these protests. Um, I saw For a really sure. funny flyer um, from Lancaster, and it said, like, how not to support Black Lives Matter when you're a white person? And there were a bunch of pictures on it, some of which involved some people that I know from Lancaster who definitely were out there doing the like um, protest tourist kind of picture taking, like I'm going to get a picture right in front of a cop and I got to have my sign out. And like, like I'm I'm glad these people are supporting. I just please go out and do it the right way because this is not a movement movement that is about any of the three of us talking or any other, sure. you know, privileged white person to make it about them. It is 
our, our role here is a support role and yep it's it's very hard for some of us and i'll use the collective us to accept that and not try to make it about us my uh, my my fit yeah i agree my favorite sign that i saw today um was it said racism is small dick energy mm. yes i love yes. that <laughs> yeah thought that was really good <laughs> I, I didn't see it on the internet until I saw it in real life today, and I was like, "Ah, oh, shit, that's excellent." <laughs> the only thing I will say is that's a false narrative because I'm not racist, <laughs> and you have a small dick. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for spelling it out. <laughs> well, no, well, you said it. I think you gotta stop drawing attention to your penis and then inviting me to comment on it. Because I don't care look, to. I don't care to. I, I also have a small dick, but I also have a large dick next to it on the shelf as well. And a couple medium-sized in between. Like, I have a whole collection in jars of formaldehyde on my shelf. It's a weird, it's a weird oh. thing to be into, but, like, you know, I have a little yeah, extra money right now thanks to Donald Trump's so, stimulus. And I'm, I'm spending gonna, it on formaldehyde yeah. dicks. Yeah, I haven't been able to upgrade very much, so my shelf is pretty much all... You know, mini dick. So they're and on a slight and on a slightly layer note. Did I ever tell you guys my uh on air at least? Did I tell you guys my wieners for Christmas story? I don't think you've ever told me that on air or off air. Okay, so when I was a when I was a child, uh one of we used to have chores at the house, my brother and I, and my dad had a like this doesn't super matter but we had like a checkers system where it's like oh you got so many checkers a week and if you fucked up you had to give one back if you did a chore you got another one and you trade them in for money at the end of the week like a quarter each or whatever so one of the chores one of the chores involved in that was dusting the house so say this is late fall october november right and there's a lot of shit in my parents house made of wood my mom, I do not believe, listens to this, so this is totally fine. So there's a lot of shit made of wood in my parents' house, including their bed frame. So you're dusting, like, the the posts and whatever, and you're a small kid. You're down on the floor dusting the bed frame, and I see a box under their waterbed. And it's late fall, and I go, hell yeah. I bet this is Christmas. <laughs> I bet this is Christmas presents. Let's see what the hell's in this box. <laughs> I pull it. I pull this box out. I open it up, and for those of you ahead of me, listeners, it is full of dildos. Oh yeah. <laughs> so which one did you get for Christmas? <laughs> and like ten-year-old Justin is like, I don't understand this at all. Let's box this up and put it back. And then when I started dating Lois, like eight, nine years later, I mentioned it to her and she's like, she made the commentary, wieners for Christmas, worst Christmas ever. (laughs) So that is our our running joke. And as far as I, I don't believe I've told my, I might have mentioned it to my mom while drunk. So it might still be there. She might've taken it and thrown it away. I hope it's still there because not that I'm I'm not at all thrilled that my grandfather passed away, but going through his stuff and finding the weird sexual nonsense hidden away in his house has been a real hoot. So in the event that my brother has kids, 
when my mom and dad pass away and they find this giant box of rubber penises under her bed. <laughs> so, so yeah, nice. I have it. I'll save it for another episode. I don't want to do too many uh, finding a dildo under the bed stories, but uh, oh no, you have one too. Yeah, it, it's brief. It's pretty brief. Well, should I just tell it? It'll take like thirty seconds. Yeah, hit it. Lindsay, my sister-in-law. Yeah. used to live in our house she rented a room in our house and her girlfriend also lived there and then um she stopped living there because she stopped paying rent like forever before that and <laughs> we kind of cleaned up her room and my in-laws were there too <laughs> and uh, we were cleaning under the bed and we pulled out a shoe box and in the shoe box was a big ass strap on dildo <laughs> and uh my mother-in-law and father-in-law were kind enough to let us take a picture of uh, let us how we had them take a selfie of them holding the box with the strap on in it and then send it to Lindsay. And that was pretty fucking funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was That's Lindsay's so much response? better. Uh, I can't, I, I think she just like said, ha 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 ha. I don't know. It's hard to embarrass so, her. Um, living with a girlfriend who worked in an adult store for, over a year i have all kinds of weird stories like that but my favorite is just like how many times i've gone somewhere and there just happens to be a dildo or a vibrator <laughs> because they're different things right yeah the more you know you know definitely some young men don't know that they're they are different things they are different things mm -hmm. um is randomly like in a bag, in a thing of laundry, like, oops, there it is. Didn't know that was there. Hey, why is your bag making that noise? Is your phone going off? All kinds you open of a cabinet, it hits you in the head. Never had the cabinet, but like, definitely like, like so they, they've ended up so many random places. And like, I've found them so many random places because like, you know, working there, you get a lot of discounts. You get a lot of like, 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 <laughs> hey, here's like, it's kind of like, you know, any other place they hand out free samples to the staff. Well, you know, try this out. That way you can talk about it. Here's a dolphin, a cock ring with a dolphin on it. I did oh. enjoy that. Yeah, I had one of those. I was joking, but okay. I did have one. <laughs> I was just playing along, but hey. I mean, yeah, I was playing along. Yeah, play, play in the space. <laughs> um, Wait, what was the keyboard cat thing? Play us out, keyboard cat. Isn't that something like that's that? Good. Yeah, that's pretty close. What was the episode, Justin? That, all right, that's going to do Justin, it for... Uh, the first, please? That's going to do it for this that's, week. Ah! Of <laughs> all right, uh... All right, that's going to do it for this week of Two Beats Off Podcast. Follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe. Please check out twobeatsoffpodcast.bigcartel.com and consider buying a t-shirt or a koozie to support Music Cares, a foundation that helps musicians and promoters during the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, we'll see you next week. Who's next week, Justin? Oh, God damn it. Next week, we've got Mike Natoli and John Hernandez of Timeshares. Play us out, keyboard cat. That's where, you're, where you'll edit in the keyboard cat song. Okay, I will. Yeah, that's good. Oh.